Hi, Johnny. Hanging in there, man. Hanging in there. I'll just. Uh, I don't know what's, what's happened here. No one's coming. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. There were some issues having this room shown up. So. Yeah, well, I've Let's noticed that actually. Um, yeah. That when I. Because I was searching up. for it and I couldn't find it. Yeah, I noticed it as well. When I put it on the calendar, it wasn't coming up on the um, the calendar for the club. Yep. So I don't know whether it's because of the updates or something um, that's going on in terms of uh, um, they did that okay. new feature, didn't they? So. Yeah, every time they update, you know, we we have no idea what's happening. Things just glitch all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. So, so okay. um, how's your day been? Good, thank God. I'm getting better. It's getting better, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm excited for this room. Yeah. <laughs> I'm super excited for this room. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting subject. So, um, hi Tarek, uh, how are you? Salam alaikum, hey, buddy. Uh, maybe you're busy. Hi Donny. Um, hi Rusha. I'm sorry. Um, I just have a phone call. Oh, no worries. No worries, Derek. Um, okay. So Dr. Roshanak, I was, um, speaking, I was speaking to you about this a few times, actually, this topic. Yeah. Um, so today folks, we're going to be talking about the dark side of social media, how algor how, how algorithms rule our lives. We've even been talking about this at the beginning of the room, visibility of the room. That's an algorithm kind of issue um per se so i wanted to basically do this topic on a sunday um it was a spontaneous room this is the recruiting and careers club and i'm joined by the wonderful dr roshanak who's my co-host on this room um so if you want to introduce yourselves and Tarek's on stage and the wonderful dimple as well um then go ahead and then we're going to get into the actual topic and if you can press the plus sign to get some more visibility of this room so we can work this algorithm and then i'm gonna yeah get... and everybody we can hit the share button at the bottom and share the room yeah that's another good shout actually uh, i'm still getting used to that so uh, and then we can get into the topic matter believe me this topic matter is going to uh, change a lot of your thinking and your uh, your life uh dr roshanak go ahead sorry i was sharing the room um <clears throat> So hi, everybody. I'm Dr. Roshan Akashanian. I'm a computational clinical and behavioral neuroscientist with a tremendous passion for understanding and improving the human condition. So we are right on topic and in my wheelhouse here. What I do now is serve more than just the scientific and medical community by combining um, quantitative, meaning science, and conceptual information, so wisdom, emotional intelligence, spiritual intelligence, to produce unique, usable knowledge that supports mental well-being, optimizes performance, and aligns people with their authentic selves. As my passion is to, in fact, help everybody level up to optimize their achievement and fulfillment in life, I help people and businesses become more purposeful, effective, and prosperous. This topic of social media, and I've got quite a few social media replays in my bio, if you look, this topic of how those algorithms really affect our lives is really of such interest to me. And I think so important to every single person in this room. We are on a social audio app and the algorithms that we have, as Johnny and I were just discussing when we opened the room, will determine who gets to see the room. The social media algorithms really are so powerful in 
guiding, let's just say politely, where our attention goes. And that is something each and every single one of us should have sovereignty over. So I'm very excited to be here. Thank you so much, Johnny, for the invite and looking forward to the room. Uh, thank you, Dr. Roshanak, um, for your introduction. Uh, Tarek, if you dare, feel free to make an intro. Otherwise, I'll pass the baton on to Dimple. Okay, Dimple, over to you, my uh, good friend. If you're there, Dimple. Trying to get back to Twitter. Sorry, I was trying to share this, so didn't finish. I'll have to do it again. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Dimple. I am a marketing expert and um, the host of the Mesmerizing Marketing Podcast and a few other shows. Very interesting topic today. Looking forward to the conversation. Algorithms definitely have a dark side, and there is. Um, a lot that changes very quickly when it comes to social media and all the different platforms. So interesting conversation, looking forward to it. Okay, thanks for the intros. Um, so we're gonna get into the topic matter, which is the dark side of social media, how algorithms rule us. So have you ever noticed from getting a loan, a job, which is my field, to recruitment and careers, insurance to TV streaming series, and especially with social media, algorithms are ruling us all and taking control of all of our lives. Social media is the greatest addiction that human beings have ever known, second only to love and sex. As Sophocles said, nothing vast enters the life of mortals without a curse. So social media is both the best and the worst of worlds that we're in. Social media started out as a force of good. However, algorithms, machine learning over time take a life of their own beyond anyone's control even. So since the 1980s, for example, we now have a trillion more processing power, a trillion more processing power since the 1980s. Thus, you have a total uneven contest of us mortals with our million years old brain that's evolved with evolution, which never, ever evolved for all of this. And our digital avatars, we all have one now in Clubhouse, with the exceptional and exponential power of tech and AI and algorithms. So it's great that with tech, we can do almost anything right at the touch of a button. It's, it's wonderful. The worst that it's doing is changing our behaviors, your behaviors through constant dopamine hits and changing our behaviors little by little, which then it gets more significant over time. So the issue with social media has been argued to be its business model of advertising. So social media is clearly in trouble when we favor algorithms over interesting concepts, ideas, or user experiences. As we don't pay for social media, we then become the product. We are users, and there are only two industries which call their consumers users, the illegal drug industry and social media. So on that thought, I'm gonna pass the baton on to Dr. Roshanak, are you addicted to social media? Thank you so much, Johnny. Absolutely not. 
I was addicted to Clubhouse when I first got on, but I avoided social media, never had a Facebook account, never had Instagram, um, just barely was dabbling with Twitter because I had to from an organization that I was a major arm of. Um, but I was not. And even when I was doing a little bit of Twitter, I found, boy, this really sucks up my time. And it also affects my mood. So I will say this, there's a, a quote by Brian Solis that says, in the digital space, attention is a currency. We earn it, we spend it. So make no mistake, social media algorithm benefits the social media platform, and it is not your friend. Just like gambling, the house always wins. And you were talking about how social media is one of the greatest addictions, and I agree. It's become so pervasive. I don't most people can't live without it like they can't live without their phone. So social media, I would say, where people think, oh, it's such a great thing. And, and it can be quite good and can serve very well. But it is now to quote unquote good as media is to objective. <laughs> and so because media platform owners collect, and this is what we've talked about so many times, Johnny, you and I, I always say, look, if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. And so all these freebies that we get, there's, it's like they say, there's no such thing as a free lunch. And in this case, it's the platform owner that's collecting your user data in order to make money off of that. How? Because your attention is the currency, as I just mentioned. So they collect your user data and then they serve you the content they want to serve you and that will keep you most engaged so you're staying there longer. And then that gives you more exposure to what? Third-party advertising, of course. So they'll either sell your information um, or they'll use it to provide proper advertising or both. So it's basically buyer beware as the, as the saying goes. So it's really important that we arm ourselves with correct information so we don't go into this gladiator ring armed with just a twig. And as I am a neuroscientist, I have been very careful to make sure I do not get addicted. So I set up strategies to make sure that I'm controlling my time and attention. And that's the advice I would give to all of us is it's up to us to manage our time and attention and set in place strategies that serve us and our objectives, as opposed to the media platform and their goals. Back to you, Johnny. Yeah, I, I love that. And I love the fact that you've set some boundaries and strategies in, in your usage. Um, I've never been addicted to anything, but I must say I'm, I am addicted to my phone. Um, and I was checking how many times on average a person checks their phone. Did, would you have any idea, Dr. Roshanak, that, what, what do you think is the average of how many times a person checks their phone? You know, I used to know this number and I hate to just throw out pure conjecture, but it is like all the time. We are absolutely, not every single one of us, but the majority of people are so connected to their phones that they actually go into anxiety when the phone is not literally next to them. And that's so true because the average person checks their phone 110 times up to about 900 times in the course of a day, right? And factor in as well the fact that the, the point that we actually sleep during the course of the day. But a lot of people, when a they wake- A lot of people don't sleep because they're connected to their Yeah, phones, that, right? that's another issue, right? It is because- People bring their phones into their bedroom. They're scrolling away. Look, then they check their emails. They check their Instagram, their social medias. 
Then they start to get involved in some messages or check this or do that. Um, and then when you get up in the morning, Dr. Roshanak, as well, the first thing you do, or I, I'm guilty of it, I wake, my, I wake up and then I try to set new patterns of behavior where I don't automatically check the phone because I allow some time just to get into an e equilibrium with it. And then quickly I do check the phone. And the first thing I do is check my emails. So it's... But I have a question for you. Yeah, go ahead. Are you checking your emails because you're addicted to your phone or because that's part of your work? See, there's a difference there. And that's important that we make that discernment. Also, somebody back channeled me and said, on average, we're checking our phone every 10 minutes. Well, I, it, go, it, it proves my point. There, There is, uh, I think, for me, it's one of the, it's one of the same, really, because my mobile is an extension of me. And that is an extension of my work. So whatever I'm doing, I'm on the go, but my clients and my candidates can be from all over the world. So I'm dealing with situations in the United States or the Middle East or the UK, wherever it is, I'm getting a message, I'm getting an email, something's happening, and then I feel compelled to respond. And I think it's more of a pressure to do that when you're a SME or an entrepreneur or micro-entrepreneur, when it's your baby, it's your business, um, and you are trying to provide the best you can do for your clients and candidates alike, um, which is in my field. But I would say there's a massive issue with that because we are constantly checking electric, uh, electronic uh, communications. And I want to pose this out there to, to you and Dimple and welcome Dan as well. You know, how many times do you sit around a dinner table without not checking your phone, just have the phone completely away? I never have my phone with me at dinner. I find that to be really inappropriate because that's signaling to the other people that they don't have your attention, that you are not fully committed to that interaction with them. So my phone is typically away in my purse, can't hear it, don't look at it. And I find that to be extremely abnormal, which also I find very disconcerting. That's true. But if you look at yeah, um, you know, I was lucky enough to be born in a generation where there was no mobile phone, there was no internet. Yeah, I know, a dinosaur. I hear you crying <laughs> in, in the, the virtual audience, uh, but it's true. There was such a thing, you know, and it was wonderful because when you were out, you were out, out. You know, that's how I class it because it was just concentrating on the company. Uh, but now, more and more than ever before, people don't just enjoy the moment. Their phones are out. There's picture here picture there upload onto the instagram the facebook the tiktok whatever it is and they're forgetting to enjoy the actual moment and that's because i do believe especially even more the younger generation gen z and stuff um there is this kind of addictiveness to social media so i'm going to define as well what algorithm what's uh, uh, what are social media algorithms and then we're going to get right into this so algorithms are just a set of instructions so as a matter of fact twitter linkedin facebook instagram tiktok and all the ad funded social media platforms decide which content to deliver to people in their feed based on their behaviors as dr Russianak said about behaviors and she's an expert in behaviors so many years ago, right, you'd see posts in your feed based on when they were actually published. Usually used to be the, uh, the most recent ones, with the exception of TikTok. Most social networks today use a connection graph 
to determine what an individual sees in their Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook feeds. So have you ever watched a movie on YouTube or Netflix because it was recommended to you or added a friend on Facebook from the list of people you may know? How does Twitter determine which tweets to show you at the top of your feed? It's all about our data. And this data is used by algorithms to rank and recommend content for us on these platforms. All of them, all of them use algorithms to determine what users see on their social media platform app based on data collected by them, data from a user's past use, and data users voluntarily provide this information, right? We do, we voluntarily provide this information. And there are numerous articles advising brands and creators on how to beat the algorithm. Who hasn't seen that? Anyone on the panel, who hasn't seen articles on how to crack the code and how to beat the algorithm? We've even seen on the Clubhouse rooms, isn't it? The latest updates talking about the hacks and stuff like that. But not all brands succeed in the endeavor, right? And it's true. What happens is that the rules change all the time with each new feature. We've had our content format. We, we've, we've seen it with Clubhouse, for example. How many times... Have people moaned about, oh, you know, the new update. I can't, people can't see my room. You know, it's just terrible. No notifications. You know, then you think, oh, certain rooms are getting certain coverage against other rooms. But this is what's going on. And, and, and the social media giants have complete control over what users see and experience on their platforms. Just imagine that. A bunch of tech engineers in Facebook or some platform like that or say Google with Gmail, dictate the lives or heavily influence the lives of 2 billion or so users across the planet. It's just mind family incredible. Um, what's your experience on what I just said on, on these kind of aspects and, and, and the usage of data? Data is king. Data is the new oil. Everything that we do is data. The only exception with Clubhouse is that it doesn't follow the business model that all the other social media platforms do in terms of advertising. Hey, yeah. Johnny. Uh, go ahead, Dimple, <laughs> and then Dan. Yeah, I just want to go back for a moment because I want I did want to share on, you know, your comment about people having their phones at dinner and things like that. And, you know, I remember there's a time when, like, friends from out of town would come to visit me and they would stay at my place. And it was so frustrating because they were glued to their phone. They were always on their phone. And I was really annoyed because I'm like, well, how often do you see me? I haven't seen you in years. And you come to visit me and you are glued to your phone, texting other guys and, and things like that. And it was just really frustrating because you're here on vacation, you know, from out of town to see a good friend. You know, you should be in the moment and you should enjoy their company. You should talk to them, not talk to you know, your boyfriend or ex-boyfriend or whatever it is that you're doing. Um, and also, I think when you're out to dinner with friends and you're out to dinner with people, you know, I think for the most part, your phone should be in your purse or your phone should be face down because I think it's disrespectful at dinner to be consistently checking on your phone or especially like if you're on a date, I think that's just, you know, that's just rude. Um, now, if you're with like best friends and you're on vacation and you've been on vacation for a bunch of days, maybe different story. But I do think that people are addicted. Like they get a notification from someone who sent them a message or 
you know, responded to a post on Instagram and it, I feel like they're immediately compelled to pick up their phone and respond. And I think that you have to train your brain to not react that way. You have to train yourself to just like pause and stop. So like now, even though I live alone and I'm eating dinner alone, my phone might be there, but if somebody sends me a text message or somebody, you know, responds to something, I'm not compelled to stop eating my dinner. So my food gets cold and pick it up and reply right away because you have to tell yourself it can wait. And I think that is how you position your brain to stop consistently being on your phone, you know, hundreds of times a day. So I just wanted to add that. So thanks, Johnny. No, I love that. And I love the, uh, the willpower that you have. I just worry for future generations because my generation, we weren't brought up with that. We had obviously the pre, pre that uh, we were pre all of this. Um, but now, you're finding teenagers so young with the use of mobile and social media and what massive impact is going to have, you know, let's face it, the teenage years for the best of us are difficult. We go through so many things at once, let alone a whole barrage of, uh, kind of, uh, either trolling or comments or this and that, where they can build so many kind of vices and issues that goes with it. It is really concerning. Dan, I know you wanted to, uh, chime in, go ahead, my friend. Hey, Johnny and everyone. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Amazing room as always. Thank you. Um, this is a very interesting discussion. And I have sort of three notions that I'd like to contribute. Uh, as someone who has been in that business as well for a decade, and have been lecturing about it for, for quite a number of years, I get a lot of requests or give a lot of workshop and, and you know, coach, uh, uh, people and brands about this. And the funny thing is that the most asked question I always get about social media is, can you tell me about the algorithm? Or even better, my personal favorite, the algorithm has changed, right? You know something about it. And I go like all the time, guys, <laughs> you shouldn't be worried about the algorithm. First, you should be worried about yourself, about your content, about your strategy, your image, or, you know, time and money that you're investing in it and whatever money you get out of it. And uh, because the algorithm, we can't change, right? It's just the way it is. It's just the way zebras are yellow, right? And we can't change it. <laughs> it's just the way it is. And, and, and on that note, I find it very interesting in the last two, three weeks, I'm sure um, a lot of you have seen the changes on Instagram. And I love them. <laughs> um, I have witnessed on some posts that I had lately that almost 50% of my community have seen my post, even more, 60%. And I've never seen that. I don't know what Instagram have done, but clearly there has been a massive kind of upgrade and a massive, uh, uh, I don't want to say a uh, kind of mirror house, but this surely opening up the numbers or they have something done. I don't know if it's because of TikTok or not, but I'd love to have your opinion. And the third one, I'm going to keep it short. I loved what you said, Johnny, about that. You know, we grew up as older people in a time where we didn't have social media and where we were in the moment. And you said, well, right now we can't be in the moments anymore because we get distracted or we let ourselves distract. And, and, and 
And I was kind of thinking, what is going to be the alternative in the future? You know what I mean? As this is becoming completely normal and as uh, Dr. Um, Roshanank, yes. sorry, <laughs> um, said, yeah, what, what's, how are you going to measure yourself? Is the only recipe to that limit yourself to time or more to get more disciplined or or if, if society is going to move on that the next generation with Gen Z that this is going to become completely normal what is the alternative or how are we going to deal with that in terms of society psychology uh, working I don't know it's just a question I'm, I'm putting out there I don't know the answer because I'm curious about myself as well what do you guys think it's a really good question um and I think the genie is out of the bottle. You can't put that back uh, at all. And then the big social media companies say, look, we don't need regulation. We'll regulate ourselves. Because there's been a whole kind of hoo-ha with governments around the world where they're saying, right, we've got to act on big tech. We've all seen the kind of scandals that have been associated. We had in the UK with Cambridge Analytica. Uh, with Brexit, where they were profiling people on Facebook without even knowing and having a whole abundance of data, which the campaign relied upon heavily. We've also seen all the accusations about when Trump came in and Russia involvement and all of these kind of things. So regulation and the law is always very, very slow to play catch up. But the whole point of social media is that they are very, very good at addicting us to it. They're doing the addicting and the paying customer is doing the manipulating. So the paying customer is those who are advertisers, right? They're not manipulating. There's not one demigod. It's not a Mark Zuckerberg or someone with his finger in his mouth, like almost James Bond-esque, a villain character. Absolutely not. And I truly believe all of these people had very good intentions to begin with. They wanted to, you know, get that sense of connection and get people engaged and whatever it is. But as all these things, it has unintended consequences with AI and machine learning and then vested interests. And then it gets you, and then you snowballs, it snowballs, it snowballs. But I'm conscious I've spoken enough. So I, I want to welcome Barry, Wendy, Chris, Barbara, Sahel. Welcome to yours. Free-flowing discussion, popcorn style. Dr. Roshanak, did you want to say something? And then I'll go to Barry. Um, I just am loving this conversation. And I think it's important that we include in this conversation, as is now being brought up, generations and cultures, because that's going to have an impact on the algorithm, on our behaviors. And, you know, if you don't silo us as just humans and machines, you know, it's me and my phone or it's me and the social media or other media outlet, then you realize that there are multiple variables to the equation that gives us a better chance to be able to manage these strategies. Because if we all change, then that would have to change with us. But when we don't change, and it takes a lot of effort to do so for sure, then we're sitting ducks. And I also uh, wanted to say that we've been going for half an hour, and maybe we can um, bring all these lovely people who've joined us up to speed about what we're discussing, Johnny, if you're up for it. Yeah, so we're just basically uh, talking about the dark side of social media and how algorithms rule our lives. And just think about it yourselves in the audience. And if you're new to the room, you know, how many times do you do something where it's an algorithm associated uh, influence 
And I tell you what, you're doing most things in your life where there's some algorithm going on behind the scenes. Um, but I'm going to pass the baton on to Barry. And if you are enjoying this conversation, press the plus button uh, to get uh, more people in the room. It's a really, really important, powerful conversation to have um, uh, on this topic. And do share in terms of the hallway as well. Yeah, Barry, definitely. You. If you look at the bottom left, if you're on an iPhone, you'll see a little set of arrows and that's how you can share the room, send a little comment out so other people in the hallway can overcome the algorithm and can come and join in this amazing conversation. Hi, Johnny. Hi, Dr. Roshanak. Um, I have a couple things to share. Um, I teach meditation to kids and what I find the most interesting is that obviously it's an hour that we spend together where they're not using their phones. And um, in just a second session, one of the children came to me after we had closed out the session um, and said, can we do that again next week? And I think the permission that they felt in being unattached created this relaxation that they don't even know in their own bodies. And so I found that to be so interesting. And in the same line as what Dimple was sharing earlier, um, I have a morning pages practice. So um, I used to wake up and scroll first thing and look at email and I'm an entrepreneur. And so I, I hear that, Johnny, like the phone is my business, but I made it my business to wake and write morning pages so that I can process what's in my subconscious. I can um, change my habit, um, from just the, because it turns from checking the email to, to mindlessness. Um, and, and thirdly, and probably scariest having a, a teenage daughter, um, girls take over 20 selfies and an hour before they decide which to post based on not just the algorithm, but obviously, you know, the peer pressure of what others will think of them for what they're putting out. So just some food for thought. And um, I think when we create experiences where we can be without phones, lockers, and um, dining without phones and all of that, I think when that becomes more um, commonplace, um, we will need to be the ones who change the algorithm. It's it's already a monster. <laughs> it um it makes us feel good. You know, it's a dopamine rush, getting a like, getting a look. Um, we need to be the ones that change our own algorithm. Thanks, I'm Barry, and I'm done. Yeah, I love that, Barry. Who wants to chime in on that? Wendy? Yeah, thank you so much. Good morning or hello, everybody. Good evening to those or good afternoon to those in, in um, the UK. Um, you know, <laughs> this is like super heavy for first thing in the morning for me. And the one thing that I um, wanted to add to this, and, and Barry, I, I love what you were just saying about like the meditation and and giving kids the ability to be disconnected. When I have my son disconnect, he's 15, he, it's like punishment to him. And I'm also noticing that because these kids are so on their phones or stuck in these algorithms and kind of living in this, this world that, you know, I didn't have to live in cause I'm a Gen Xer. Um, some of the other life skills are, um, 
diminishing that that I think are important. Like I'll give you an example. Yesterday, my son wanted a hamburger and he is nervous to go and speak in public to the cashier because that's not what they're, that, that's not what they're used to now. And so I'm just, I'm really concerned about like these addictive behaviors having a bigger, not just, um, uh, not just when we're on our phones, but just that the outpouring or the the fallout effect of what's happening with communication skills and you know real life um, communication that we learned as children because we didn't have a choice that now our kids aren't learning. I don't know what anybody else thinks about that. I'd love to know. Thank you. Yeah, I love that perspective, Wendy. Uh, who wants to answer Wendy's question uh, on that? Chris, go ahead, my friend. What's going on, Johnny? Um, yeah, this is one of my favorite conversations. We were talking about this a few weeks ago in a room where uh, a woman was talking about her child dealing with uh, a school shooting situation or a threat at her school. And there was a lot of conversation that led down a rabbit hole of fear when it came to social media. So I, I think from a core basis for me, again, everything um, is we have to be mindful of our intention. We've talked about this a ton. I think uh, I'm, a, I'm a millennial and tail end of millennial. I'm 36. And it's just interesting, right? I, I, I'm a big fan of getting grounded in the data and also seeking perspective and knowing where kind of our bias goes. So interestingly enough, I mean, I grew up um, playing video games. Video games was a huge part of growing up. In addition, a once the messenger was like the hub of my social activity as a kid. And it was the first time I think we started adopting, you know, comp tech in our classrooms uh, when I was like in seventh or eighth grade. So that was the central, you know, conversation uh, around how we all uh, built our social circles, how we stayed connected, and video games were an escape too. We can't forget that in the '90s, in the late '90s, I mean, there was an uproar about video games creating, um, you know, crazy scenarios, things like Doom or Duke Nukem or Mortal Kombat, for instance. Um, I, I think that these tools are, are such a big part of our lives, and I think that we can go down the rabbit hole of looking at the dark side of all of it. But here's another thing to consider. There's a whole new set of skill sets and of um, possibilities for teens and kids nowadays. And it does require a lot of nuanced discussion and it also requires a lot of guidance and leadership. I think to Dan's point, you know, getting into your content creation, what we're creating, we have no idea. And social media is still such a new concept and the construct. It's you know, a decade or so that we've been dealing with this kind of stuff. So we're still learning it. And I think we don't have enough longitudinal data to really understand a ton of how it's really creating a huge impact. So I think that, you know, you have you have kids right now who are 12, 13, 14 years old, minting NFTs, making millions of dollars. What kind of opportunity does that create? And with social skills too, I think it's easy for us to seek kind of like what's in our own area as opposed to seeing the skill sets that are actually happening there. I mean, there are kids on discord servers who are creating organized, um, you know, uh, game leagues, esports leagues, and they're creating through coordination, through leadership. And these kids are 12, 13, 14, 15 years old. So I think what's happening is you're going to see a massive split between gen X and you are going to see a huge differentiation between gen X and gen Z. You're also dealing with one of the biggest wealth, um, I think one of the biggest wealth transferences in history between baby boomers and millennials right now, too, over the course of the next 30 to 40 years. 
So you're going to see a lot of technological increase. And these Gen Z kids, I mean, they have, they have technology in their hands when they come out of the womb. I had a Nintendo when I was a kid. And I can't imagine um, the complexity of that. But I think we're still so much in the, in the epicenter of it right now. So the only thing we can do to, to Barry's point is teach intentionality and also lead by example and how we create as adults and also open the discussion up. And some of these kids are going to teach us all how these conversations should be going when it comes to using social media, because it's, it's here to stay. And, you know, if, if you want to see, finally, if you want to see a really good conversation, I think it was taken out of context in the social dilemma, but there's a talk by Chamath Palihapitiya, who was one of the co-founders at um, Facebook. He was responsible for bringing a billion users to Facebook when they monetized the platform. Look up uh, Chamath speaking with um, the MBA program at Stanford. And he makes a great case for a lot of the conversations. These founders had no idea what social media was going to lead to. And we're dealing with the consequence of the polarity of both sides. So I'll leave it there for a second and pass it back to you, Johnny. Chris, I just also wanted yeah, to ahead. add that Snapchat is one of the only um, uh, social media apps that the, the kids are using these days that doesn't allow for parental controls. And um, they have confirmed incidents of drug sales and um, won't make it, quote unquote, uncool. Uh, for the kids to know that there are parental controls on there. Um, the other social media apps do have the ability for you to have those on so that you know um, what your kids are up to. Uh, a dear friend lost her son to, during COVID, bought a pill. He and his friend bought a pill, like a, something to help with, like, you know, an upper of some sort. It was laced with fentanyl, and he died. And um, we need to hold the social media companies accountable as well it needs to be an, an overall um, accountability because not only are the kids watching but they're building their businesses on these apps and they're on too young you know they the ages that there's no check you can have a 14 year old on a on a on a faux account you know they're they're fudging their ages and there's nothing to, to check that the person behind the app is real or otherwise and that means also predators so it's like it's it's a lot it's a lot going on behind the scenes there they are doing really amazing things too and and i love that about you know kids who have businesses on there and it's a big part of my kids business has a granola business that she runs there and reviews and it it can be super amazing but it can also be epically dangerous yeah, I mean, you make so many good points there, uh, Barry and Chris. Wonderful, wonderful share. Uh, so rich in, in content. Um, and it, you talk about NFTs and stuff. That's why a lot of these monetization uh, aspects when it comes to the new social audio um, platforms are involving crypto, right? Um, so it seems that the two are kind of homogenizing uh, in those aspects because that's the new kind of vogue that's the new kind of currency of the future as people say but we're being predicted all the time we're being profiled all the time um and this goes back to the fact that you know when there's things like conspiracy theories or fake news uh the algorithm will uh pick up on things that are flying that they thinks that people want to see and and, and hear and, and they're saying that fake news uh, is six times more traction it gets six times more traction. And the problem with the whole aspect of fake news, what's the truth, what's not the truth, is that it's very hard now 
with all this that's going on with social media and algorithms to to decipher and wave through. But I love all the points that you said. Dr. Roshanak, I saw you flash your mic. Yeah, thanks, Johnny. Great conversation, as always. Fantastic room. Um, really appreciate the shares and the questions and the, the topics brought up. I'd like to bring this back to every single one of us. What do you want? What do you want? You want to be happy? It's the number one answer people give. You want to have a good life? You want to achieve, right? Everybody wants all that. How does that work when you are not taking care of your brain and body? What do I mean? Well, we are the greatest feat of engineering known to mankind, and our bodies are run by our brains, and our brains respond to our senses, of course. So when we are fully digital, we are not filling up our senses, and that is not good for the system. We've seen a little bit of that over the pandemic, and what happens when we don't fill up our senses, when we get this sort of homogenized, constant, flat landscape, it doesn't serve us well. And the sort of colloquial term brain fog comes to the forefront over and over again. And all of us have been guilty of going down the quote unquote rabbit hole, right? Where we see this and then we see that and there's a suggestion. Less and less are the algorithms really connected to each of us individually as they are by lumping us? Because individually, we are all over the place. You know, we're not so predictable. We have lots of inherent biases. And so the algorithm isn't, you know, looking at every single person. Typically, the algorithms are not looking at every single person, <coughs> excuse me, and their individual behaviors. They're lumping us together. So here you are, you're being lumped. I even saw a COVID room that was talking about how many deaths by party, you know, is this state mostly democratic or Republican and how many people died? So we really get pushed into very impersonalized categories. And then all of us get pushed as that category into whatever. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again, the brain generally takes in all input equally. And so your reality, sorry, your reality is determined by what you are consuming, what you are seeing, hearing, feeling, touching, smelling, tasting, etc. Now you're not smelling or tasting anything when you're, you know, interacting. What you're really doing is just looking, 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 and maybe hearing. And you get completely pulled into that, just like you do into any movie, where if especially if it's a good movie, you're taking on an emotional ride. You're crying, you're laughing, you're screaming, whatever it is. It's no different when you're looking at social media. You may know if you stop and take a moment, that the people that are posting on Instagram are not what they're presenting themselves to be. But in the moment, just like the movie, you're in it and you're believing it. You got how many people stop in the middle of a movie and go, oh, 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 that's just a movie. How many, how often? Rarely does that happen. And typically it'll happen only when it's like an extreme case or somebody breaks that, you know, suspended disbelief for you. So what's happening is, we're all moving further and further into a reality that is absolutely untrue, unattainable, unsatisfying. And while we're doing it, we're losing the mental capacity to be able to make good decisions that might pull us out of that. So this becomes really complicated when you think about it, in, or very important and complex when you think about it 
in terms of these three things. One, being grouped. Two, being duped. That's the reality thing. And three, being challenged in your cognitive resources in order to be able to do something like throw yourself a lifeline. Johnny? Uh, I thought that was absolutely terrific. I loved every part of that. Who wants to chime in what Dr. Roshanak just said? Just flash your mic. I want to welcome Paul, Christopher, Christina, the wonderful Kimberly, Wendy. Paul, go ahead. Hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good right now, everybody. I think this is particularly fascinating in this time. Uh, I'm Paul McFarland, and if you know how to use Clubhouse, you can find out who I am. Um, one of the things that I really got my attention a few years ago, probably about 10 years ago now, so these kids are 15, 16 now, the research done around the world about what kids in grade school, primary school, basic school, uh, are concerned about, the two biggest fears. And back then, I remember it was very clear. This is sharp, sharp number one was not doing well in school for the obvious repercussions at school and at home. But number two, 10 years ago or so, the fear of being disconnected. And I think in the larger thing, the main social, cultural, human problem we may be identifying is the so-called FOMO, fear of missing out. Because when something new happens, and we sense a lot of our people are rushing towards it, we get that instant anxiety. Now, algorithm, because you've got the word in the, uh, <coughs> excuse me, the, uh, the title of the room. Here's something about the algorithm I was talking about recently on LinkedIn. I don't know how many of you actually enjoy looking at certain websites. It's been years since anyone sent me an email saying, look at this amazing website, because the uh, actually algorithms of the mobile devices and the browsers have just squished websites into the most boring little box now. But the algorithm of search, the algorithm of ranking, which is particularly rank, has actually made the web far uglier, uglier. In other words, when you go to a website and someone's doing something to try and rank, they're putting so much so-called content all over the site for ranking. So websites, and more and more of them, are not there to serve us, but to serve an algorithm, which is very sad. So even though I do believe I do truly believe we're going to become fully digital cyber beings where our consciousness will be in the cloud and we'll be able to be in very different physical existences whenever we want to. And then maybe we'll break the, the time and space barrier and the rest of the universe will say, hey, you, you've made it. We're going there, I'm sure. But in the meantime, what is human and what is humanness in any experience? That's what I'm spending most of my time on, whatever that means to be human, while we still are anyway. Thanks very much. I, I adore this fascinating topic. No, thank you, Paul. Appreciate you. Um, anyone wants to chime in on that? Um, I also want to throw in the equation. How many of you were addicted to Clubhouse? I know I was at the beginning. Uh, I was on here quite a lot. Uh, and it was what was called FOMO. The fear of missing out, you know, that is one of the secret of the source. 
when it comes to social media. So feel free, anyone can chime in. I want to welcome uh, Wendy, John the Bomb, uh, Barbara's back again. Uh, it's a free-flying discussion. Uh, who wants to chime in next? Just flash your mic. Hey, Johnny. Happy New Year. It's John the Bomb. Building Happy New Year. Means business. What a great uh, crowd on a Sunday morning. Feeling the energy. Uh, I love when Dr. Roshnak uh, shares, you know, her, her insights are so full of incredible wisdom and, and scientific side of things and the way that she kind of looks at it. So it's been cool to just listen in. Uh, I'll just uh, share, kind of follow up from Paul. You know, for me, I don't know. I'm 46, uh, just turned 46 in December. I've got three girls. I'm in business, business capital, all that type of stuff, personal finance. And I think, you know, I think I heard you when I came into the room, Johnny. Um, I don't know if it was Nintendo or speaking about all the things, right? I think every generation goes through these uh, parameters of kind of uh, new things, and then they they interject themselves. And the older generation goes, "Oh, fuddy duddy, that's so crazy! Why would you do that? Or why would you spend time in that? Or whatever." So. I kind of feel I'm, I'm fighting myself because I am 46. Um, you know, I feel like I'm still super young. I've got so much to do and so much to become. And I heard um, the the quick quote there about, uh, or I don't know, if it, maybe it was not this room, but I've heard a quote, something about the biggest fear being that when you die to meet the person that you were supposed to be, right? Um, and one of the things that's come to my mind that I keep on fighting with this whole metaverse and what's going on and kind of what Paul just said, <laughs> that we would all become uh, robots in weird ways, like find ourselves in different dimensions. Um, I, I think it's it's disconnecting us from, you know, uh, and I'm a faith-based guy, so and whatever that means to you, that's fine. But I, I, think, I feel like it's just, I don't know what what's going on like so how is it that you want to live in a fake world that's digital that now you're lebron james and you're a billionaire and you have all these things and all this type of stuff it just feels weird right uh and again i'm here to learn i'm, I'm really trying to digest all these different rooms and you know especially because my daughters as an example you know from about six they're they're uh 10 and eight now but from about six they got into you know the ipads and all that time so we kind of give them some some leeway but the last couple of years been roblox and we've monitored it and we've attended or been a part with them like little nas x was had a had an actual concert on roblox but i just still didn't get it because i'm like guys let's go see little nas x or let's go see you know taylor swift live let's go and i like, know oh, this is awesome you know you know whatever and we're there, we're being parents, we're monitoring it and stuff. But it was just, uh, it's interesting to see how some will get sucked into this metaverse world. And yeah, there's whatever, money-making opportunity is fine. But are we losing reality with like real touch, like real dinners, real hugs, real conversations, real, you know, handshakes? And, and that's kind of what's bothering me. Uh, at a personal level so i guess it's just more of a statement or a comment uh thanks johnny for always uh having great spaces dr roshanak and everybody else i see uh good friends from clubhouse here so uh you know hopefully that you know stirs a little bit of the of, of the drink <laughs> so this is john the bomb building others means business i'm out no I, I love that perspective and i totally get that perspective because you and i are are, are of the same type of age and we were prior to all of this developments when 
you know, you were, uh, as I said at the beginning of the room, you were in the moment, living the experience. And it feels like too many people now want to live the virtual. And there, there, there's a good question from the wonderful Jennifer. Is the metaverse an opportunity to get it right, restart with new rules, no rules, more balance? Or is it just hiding from reality? You know, this is where we're coming from. And is Clubhouse the game changer? Because its business model is not based on advertising. And a lot of the arguments is that the problems with social media and all of these things is the business model, is the business model that's causing a lot of these issues. Uh, anyone wants to chime in, just uh, flash your mic. Dan, Dr. Roshanak, and Barbara. Dan, Dr. Roshanak, and Barbara. Hey, I just want to say a word to uh, what John just said. <laughs> really loved it. And uh, <clears throat> if I may add a little bit of sarcasm to your comments, John, um, in that case, we might have to be a bit thankful to COVID times preparing us for this time. <laughs> losing, losing the, the, you know, the habits of getting together with people. But no, but seriously, um, yeah, you're you're so right. It is a. Uh, Maybe this is the message of the room as a really reminder to all ourselves to stay human and to value the human interactions and the moment and the emotions, the true emotions out there, and um, to add them to the digital experience. Yeah, good points. Uh, next up, Barbara. Yeah, I mean, this is so I have seven children, and, uh, and I'm from an older generation, right? And I, I really knew that it was very important to be a very engaged parent, right? That we both, both my husband and myself, really engaged with our children. So I'm a very successful entrepreneur, super busy, but I did make sure that um, I had 100% focus on my kids. I didn't have any work-life balance whatsoever because I traveled a lot. But, but when I was present with them, I, was, I would make sure that I was 100% present. So I would really shut everything down, not answer the phone. Etc., and and they remember that, but I see them now. Now that they're parents, you know, I see that, that in the beginning they really use technology as babysitters, you know, to keep the kids busy or quiet, you know, during different times during the day, and uh, and I've seen them now begin to be worried about that, you know, uh, is it too much? Is it contributing to atten attention deficit disorder? Right. So now. Uh, some of them that are parents are actually setting the tone for saying two hours a day, you know, in social media, that's it, or games, et cetera, right? So they're chunking it a bit. But I'm, I'm wondering whether we really need to have a conversation as parents, right, in terms of how we set the tone in how we engage our children. And that's really the question I have. I'm done for now. Thank you. Yeah, I love that. And as a parent of twins myself, it's something I've been thinking of because they've had their equivalent of little iPads and they're playing their games. And I'm super, super conscious of it because you do worry, you know, you know, instead of just doing other aspects of you as a human being, enjoying playing games, other types of stuff, exercising, you do worry about it and, and putting constraints on it. But at the same time, if you totally preclude them from that, you're caught between a rock and a hard place, aren't you? So I don't know what anyone else's thoughts on it is. Just flash. Uh, Dr. Rushnak, I did say you first uh, go ahead, and then I see Paul flashing his mic. Dr. Rushnak, you there? I am. Thank you, Johnny. So excellent points, excellent points, excellent questions. Um, with respect to the children and with respect to our humanity, we need connection. You need it like you need air and water. And so 
putting the iPad or whatever as the babysitter, even using things like baby Einstein, it's now been shown that those actually are detrimental to development. Children need the human connection more than anything. And we've also seen as we were socially isolated and living on Zoom and living virtually, we became restless, we became agitated, we were not doing well. Uh, mental health issues went up, alcohol sales went up, we had problems. And that is the proof, so we can conjecture all we want, but let's come out of the theoretical and come into the real and the practical and the tested and see what actually happened when we did have these interactions. Let's see what happens when there are studies that show how children develop, because our brains are developing for decades after we're born. Decades. And there are some times that are more important than other times. They're called critical periods, and we have sensitive periods, and this is important for, for neurodevelopment. And, and the brain doesn't you know, develop by itself. It develops together with its environment. And we require connection. We require good, stable human relationships to thrive. And so when it comes to children, they need more human connection than they're getting in most of the Western cases. Again, I mentioned culture early on, and we sort of haven't talked about it again. And um, with respect to how we would fare in a virtual world, you know, it, it's just such a beautiful example of our absolute laziness, absolute lack of accountability. Like, we mess this up. Let's just move on and see what else we can do. It's like, we've messed up this earth. Let's just find another planet we can <laughs> like start all over again. When you haven't changed, you're just going to bring that same stuff into that new situation. And guess what's going to happen? So with respect to us learning and us moving on and all of this, and now we come into the spiritual aspect of it as well and the psychological. So this is neuro, psycho, spiritual, what we're talking about here. Because your brain's involved, psychology, of course, and this spiritual aspect of it as well, which is why are we even here? What are we doing? Are we here to just like have fun and leave? What does fun mean? What is the point of all of our challenges? Why should we even face them? What does that do to us? And it, it does cause changes in your brain. And that causes changes in how you feel. And that causes changes in your behavior. You see, they're all very much interconnected. And so coming here... And, and not connecting with each other and not facing our challenges actually is incredibly detrimental to us. Neuro, psycho, spiritually. I'm Dr. Roshanak Hashmi and I'm complete. Yeah, I absolutely love that, what you just said, Dr. Roshanak. And we've discussed this as well about the fact that, you know, social media and stuff, there is a system of rewards and punishments, isn't there? Really, in terms of getting you like, we almost feel like a lab rat. Uh, if you don't tweet enough every single day, you know, there's a knock-on effect that every social media platform has its own kind of uh, ways of behavior. Uh, I mean, what, what would you, what would you say to that, to, uh, about that to the audience? Well, which was the specific, I was listening, but I the rewards and punishment systems that there seems to be right. on, on social media. Like for example, if you don't tweet every single day on Twitter, there is a knock-on effect and every social media platform, right? And we've, we've spoken about how the way, how they give you just a bit enough, you get your dopium hit. So you get your reward. And then there might be a punishment if you've not been consistent in like every day doing a reel every day doing a post every day doing a tweet you know every because the the whole point of these platforms is to keep you on that platform 
as long as they can and to keep you coming back, right? Absolutely. And that's what I was talking about when we first started talking. Uh, with respect to the algorithms, they benefit. It's like the house always wins. That They benefit the platform and not you. In fact, they benefit at your expense. So for example, Instagram, you'll create a post, right? And it doesn't go out to all your followers in your audience. It goes out to 10% of them, 10%. And if they're not going to respond with a like or a comment, your reach is actually going to be reduced and you don't grow and you get frustrated and you get out there and you're trying to do stuff. So now you're back on the app all the time. Now, what is the purpose of it? Is it because you want people to like you? What about going out making real friends? Is it because you want business? You could actually do great business going out and talking to real people because people like people and they buy from people they like. And you have opportunities to engage with people all day long. Now, if you do get some likes and comments, then they're going to start showing you to more people. Now again, oh, this is working. Let me come back for more. The horse is going to go back to the place where they, they got water to drink. So in either case, it's like a lose-lose scenario. If you get caught up in that, I can only grow through social media. I can only have friends through social media. I can only get liked through social media. When you make social media the center of your universe, guess what's going to happen? It's going to be the center of your universe. And with respect to reward, the greatest rewards actually come from what's known as positive prediction error. In other words, you didn't expect it. And that also can happen on social media when all of a sudden something goes viral, you know, wow, this is amazing. Look at this. And can I reproduce that? And I enjoyed it so much. I want to do it again. And so in these ways, you can see that it's not quite so simple and linear as we're moving forward. I hope that helps. Yeah, I thought that was brilliant. So I'm going to get everybody else to chime in on that because we've got some new people as well. Uh, Laura Mohammed, welcome. Um, so if you are enjoying this conversation, there's a link above my head. It's the Recruitment and Careers Club uh, podcast. So I'd be grateful by way of social currency, as we're talking about social media, if you could uh, uh, review and rate it, it would really help me with, guess what, the algorithm, because there's algorithms in everything, including podcasts. Um, I would be ever so grateful and check out the the. the the episodes that we've got and we've got a new episode coming up which is an amazing powerful interview with a very inspirational uh, lady coach uh, she's done incredible things been interviewed by multiple tv networks that will be coming out this week um so who wants to chime in on what uh, dr roshnak said uh, barbara i see you on mic yeah and thank you so so i build the business not using social media I, I, I don't care about Facebook. I don't care about Instagram. I don't care about Twitter. And uh, now I don't know if that is po even possible in the future to take a stand for this and say, you know what, I don't want to do it this way. I'm, I'm going to do it in my own way, my own authentic way, high touch, really having deep connections with people. I work with a lot of CEOs, right? Um, and uh, that's worked. And, and, you know, I don't do Facebook with my children, my grandchildren. I do Zoom. I do face-to-face. -face. I do, you know, on the phone. I talk with them, right? I don't know. You know, maybe we need to set the tone in a different way than we're playing this game right now. I just, again, I'm putting in another question here. I think this is a super important conversation we're having right now. Thank you. I'm done for now. I uh, saw so Dr. Roshnak want to chime back yeah, in. Just Go for ahead. two seconds. And that is, you know, as was said earlier, the Pandora's box has been opened. And so we don't want to pretend and, and turn a blind eye and say, oh, I can do everything without social media. Social media should be part 
of the media package and strategy that one has, but making it central, that's where we get into trouble. And I think if enough people start to move away from it, as some companies have, some companies have now turned off their social media or are switching to other brands and causing changes. I mean, I think it was, wasn't it Australia who some time ago uh, was saying that they weren't going to be yep. playing nice, nice with, with Facebook and then Facebook eventually had to give in. And now Lush, I, I have done some rooms with Mohit on this app about how Lush has changed its strategy and it came off of Facebook and Instagram and it's going more towards YouTube. And the, <laughs> excuse me, the way that we're all looking forward because people are so dissatisfied and they are thinking, thank God, and we are having these conversations for great rooms like Johnny always has in his recruitment and careers club. Um, these conversations are valuable. They're not just us all going, oh, isn't that nice? And then we walk away and nothing happens. It's important for us to continue thinking and then change our behaviors because now people are moving towards communities so that they have more control over who their own people are. And if I write something to my own community, it won't be 10% of it that gets the message. It'll be everyone. Yeah, I love that. Um, just before I go to Kimberly, and then I see Paul uh, flash his mic as well. Um, uh, in answer to Dr. Roshanath's question, because I don't think we did, why are, you at, why are you all here on social media, on Clubhouse? I'm going to go first, because I spent a whole life spending my time selling other people. So selling companies, people to people, in terms of the, uh, the business that I'm in, recruitment and careers. Um, and it's only since Clubhouse that I actually realized the the power of what I do and the knowledge that I have in building a personal brand front and center. I have a large community on LinkedIn. That was just by virtue of the results that I get and the consistency that I have and being a thought leader within my space in recruitment and careers. But the penny never dropped on me in terms of being a, a personal brand. I actually thought I was actually very, very late with social media. For example, Instagram only I joined because of Clubhouse. Uh, Twitter, I joined just two weeks ago. Um, and LinkedIn, I never saw it as social media. It's only evolved since the acquisition of Microsoft. And it's Clubhouse and coming out of your comfort zone and having a social audio platform that resonated to me because it was the ability to speak and have conversations that I really resonate more than any other platform. Um, then I realized the power of the personal brand. And I've been here, one, to build the further the personal brand, two, to convey the message and the mission that I want to do with recruitment and careers to as many people as possible. And that's why I'm here. Uh, I've got a very successful recruitment and headhunting business, but that's why I'm here, being absolutely honest, uh, is to be consistent, build the club, build the message, uh, have as many opportunities as I can in terms of distribution and continue on building the power of the personal brand. Anyone else want to go on that comment before I go to Kimberly? Uh, Chris, go ahead. Chris, you've got the floor. Yeah, brother, thanks, man. This is Chris speaking. Um, it, this is a great conversation, right? Your intention with, with what you're building here. And for me personally, just flat out, you know, that, that conversation I talked earlier about with uh, Chamath Palihapitiya, talking about business as an instrument of social change, he talks a lot about your worldview. And every single person here has a view, uh, a worldview. And if you have a worldview that matters to you, 
I think it's a responsibility to put yourself out there. And I think it requires courage and, and courage for me is answering the question, are you willing to go all in on that worldview, learn from it, and also take the steps necessary to proliferate it? That, you know, there's a lot of nuance to this conversation. And I think it's great for us to talk in broad brushstrokes, but I think there there is a lot to discuss here. But however, the one thing about Clubhouse that I think we all have to understand is that social audio is still a very new concept and that Clubhouse dealt in something that, you know, I think is pretty powerful. Clubhouse, just like Wisdom when it first came on scene, Fireside and Green Room deals in serendipity. And serendipity was high in January, February, and March of Clubhouse. And that's when people saw the most growth. And that's where my argument is, is that we actually broke out of algorithms to a degree because we were having critical conversations with people of various backgrounds because clubs hadn't really been formed yet. And there wasn't any of these stowed away kind of conversations. So we were having some very important conversations at a time when we, we desired connection during COVID as the algorithm obviously learned. And as more people came to the platform, these conversations are more difficult to have, which is why a lot of creators aren't necessarily coming back to the platform or spending as much time here, including myself. The second thing I would say is this, is that, you know, things like Google ads, Facebook ads are, are a closing window of opportunity. And a lot of major marketing firms and conversations in the space talk about the rise of the micro influencer. So there are a lot of voices that happen on Clubhouse that emerged that didn't have massive marketing budgets, but gained a lot of notoriety and a lot of popularity because it was one of the first platforms people could actually hear them on because they weren't going to compete with the noise on Instagram and Facebook. So you're starting to see a merge of the individual and the personal brand, which now we're talking about media personalities. Everybody on here is a media personality putting their intellectual property out there. So I think that serendipity factor kept me on Clubhouse for a very long time and also really fit my needs for that. But yeah, I have a worldview that I want to get out to the world. I have people I want to collaborate with. And that's my focus, my mission on there. So that's my answer, brother. Back to you. Yeah, I love that. Thank you so much, Chris. Uh, Kimberly, um, what's your thoughts? Um, hi, Johnny. Hello, everybody. Well, I, uh, as always, appreciate this conversation, both about the algorithms, the metaverse, and technology. Um, although most people don't know me as, as a, a tech industry person, I am, but not as one who creates the tech, but who works in and the future of work and the future of life in a, in a digital tech-enabled society. So this conversation, the pros, the cons, the perils, the promise, has certainly been going on for a long time and will continue to. And um, so I just want to acknowledge that it may be accelerating as a conversation, but it is not originating as one now. But I think that with the proliferation of all of this, um, using the power of our own lived experience and wisdom, science and wisdom of life, um, and the power of choice, if we are, in fact, having an opportunity to create the world we want, we better be clear on what kind of world we want, including um, what we impart to our children in addition to access to technology, they need access to the other things that we know as well. And uh, you mentioned laziness earlier, Dr. Roshanak, and um, uh, although that's an unpopular thing to point to, 
uh, we do have to understand that it's an unpopular choice to restrict um, our kids. And it's actually an unpopular choice to restrict ourselves. And on any given day, I fail. Um, but as I've watched this, Johnny, you talked about the beginning of Clubhouse. I've never had FOMO on a social app until Clubhouse. I've never behaved in the way I did when I first got here. And I went from, I don't want a, another social media app. And I, I, I could have been on six months earlier and had some of the, I guess, advantages of that. But I was totally against the idea of one more. And then I thought it was dumb going in rooms and hopping around, hearing a lot of blah, blah, blah. And then I went into a room where I was learning and engaged and I was hooked. And I did what many people did here. I think I've learned by being a witness and participant for now at least a couple of decades that the both the arguments pro and con and the pendulum swing of uh, excitement and adoption and then settling into something that is a more integrated truth, that that process must just be part of it because I've witnessed it so many times. And so I just want to talk about that process being one of discovery and then choice. And, uh, but I take very seriously that if you've got folks like uh, Steve Jobs, who was the CEO of Apple, as we all know, or who's the Google CEO, is it, I don't remember how to say his name, like Sundar Pichai or something like that. I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. I know the Snapchat CEO, Evan Spiegel and others, all who are creators of these things that they are putting out into the world that become these dominant platforms. One thing they share in common is that every single one of them restricted access to those technologies to their own children because they know. And they actually were willing to say that part. They were willing to put that information out there, but it was in the soft text. It wasn't in the leading message. But if the very creators of these um, technologies and platforms, devices and software, if they know not to give it to their own children, that should be a, a statement in itself with a strong period at the end for adults and children alike. So I think we need to take that in. Um, I am not an either-or person because I have seen, as we all have in different ways, the incredible power, the extension of our creative capacity, the extension of our critical thinking capacity to learn faster, to have data in a blink, far more than one brain can hold. I will not deny myself access to that nor will I substitute lived human sensory experience and human interaction. I will not substitute one or the other. And that's part of what we're talking about here. Um, 
And I think the discipline of valuing equally and more the other forms of intelligence, the other forms of beingness, um, we have to decide again to place that in the center of what we value and understand that it is the human potential at work to extend its own ability to create and to navigate and to solve problems um, and to express. Several years ago, I want to say six or seven, because I'm part of multiple very large um, uh, tech networks of the future of industry. I remember being in Barcelona at the Mobile World uh, Congress, which is the largest tech conference in the world. And I've been associated for, for many years. And I remember sitting in an audience with, oh, at least, at least a couple thousand people. And on the screen, we were watching in another city, I believe another country from where we were sitting, watching medical procedures take place with two forms of remote information happening. Somebody feeding in information from one source, a doctor driving what was happening, and a patient receiving care. And we were astounded at how far that had come, far beyond telemedicine, which is really still taking off and was accelerated because of COVID. But as I, through VR, AR, and other exposures early on, saw how we could help each other, how we could learn and grow, I was excited and am excited about that. But I had the same concerns and fears and recognition that if we did not choose an integrated relationship with this, we would trade something irreplaceable for that capacity. So I really appreciate that these conversations in this room and rooms around the world are the ones that we are taking responsibility to ask the right questions, to avail ourselves of every evolving capacity that humans can come up with and never ever let go or lose sight of those that are timeless. And that's our job and nobody else's. Just some thoughts. No, I love that uh, insight as always, Kimberly. You're always gold whenever you speak. Uh, and it's remarkable, isn't it? The CEOs of all these companies are limiting their own children because they know, like Kimberly said, they know. They know how addictive it is. Um, and I'm going to put this question out before I go to Paul. And uh, uh, feel free, if anyone on the stage, it's a free-flowing popcorn conversation. I want this to be these rooms more of real life conversation as like radio um, so that everyone can get the best experience uh, and the, the, the most kind of uh, insights within this topic and, and, and subject. Um, and the question is, do you think social media has absolutely increased self-absorption and the rise of narcissism? Is it the case that a lot of people are on social media because the social media companies know that everybody likes to be recognized, everybody likes to have some fame or that sense of, uh, you know, a spotlight. 
Um, and I'd, I'm posing that question out to anybody on the, on the stage, and I'm going to go to to Paul, but flash your mic if you also want to answer that question. So, Kimberly, uh, I'll quickly go back to Kimberly as he was a kind of uh, back to forth, and then uh, Paul, Kimberly, go ahead. Uh, thanks, Johnny. Uh, because I left that part out since that's also very central to this conversation. Um, that same FOMO that I was describing on Clubhouse in general, um, I deal with the anxiety of so many experts and so many platforms saying that I will be irrelevant. I'm not keeping up with my peers and that I'm supposed to make videos and I'm supposed to and I'm supposed to and I'm supposed to. And first I start learning and adhering, and then I start resisting and using the rest of my faculties to make a choice that feels true for me, not dictated to me by a bunch of, of folks that sometimes have motives for what they're saying or just really believe it. But um, we can see for ourselves that, you know, We've never seen a generation who took so many pictures of themselves before. I'm not sure you always need to take a picture of yourself and post it. So there's some things I don't like about this. I do know that in any form of marketing, you go where the people are. And if the people are on a platform and they need to know you exist, that makes sense to me. And you need to be intelligent about it, be effective, etc. But again, put the same governors on ourself that we're describing putting on our children. There's a point of which it makes sense, and there's a point of which it does not, and it is running you. And every one of us need to d determine for ourselves what is our point in that spectrum. Thanks. Yeah, I love that. Um, and I think it boils down to the fact that there is this saying, you know, the best known beats the best. And you might be great at what you do but you also might be the world's best kept secret and i think there's this pull and rush with social media to say hey i, I i'm here i have value i exist um because there's a whole juggernaut of a wave and with all these things if you don't follow the trends but also check yourself then it has one unintended consequences in terms of you get too extreme with it but two if you don't do anything with it you become a dinosaur and you're left as well to the sidelines of where everything's going. Paul, over to you. I wish I could stay here all day, but I can't. And I will not lie. None of you can compete with the idea that I'm going to Zoom with my Mui Lefia uh, in the Netherlands in a few minutes because she's my heart and soul. Uh, but I guess what I want to leave you with is a couple interesting little points. Uh, one of the things I really pay attention to is again what's happening what's going to happen and looking at things that have been to try and point the way so here's something i've been telling clients about meta law well remember in any new thing first come the pioneers then come the monetizers and then come the criminals mm -hmm. which is why i've been saying lately that price of decentralization is eternal verification. So uh, the last thing I'll leave you with is something I actually been thinking about, meta law. Will it be possible in the metaverse for my avatar to be murdered? And will that be a trial 
and will it be held in the metaverse by a meta judge or not? <laughs> it's the kind of things I think about. I love this. I love you all. This is so good. And I'm glad we're all human beings. I'm a human being whose body, whose body is in St. Louis, Missouri, but whose mind and heart is in the Netherlands. Now, is that virtual? You tell me. Have a great one, everybody. Thanks. Thank you, Paul. Love, I love that insight and your, your questions. Uh, who wants to chime in next with what I said and Paul said? I do. Uh, anything I do. you heard? Splash your mic. Uh, Wendy C., go hey, ahead. Thanks. Thanks, Johnny. Hi, everyone. Um, okay, so I have quite a few things to say, but I'm going to try to say, stay concise. Um, first, I am, I'm 66. So I have two grandchildren that are small. One is four and when one can't use any type of device yet. But I was recently on a trip and um, to see my colleagues and grandkids and all that good stuff. And I was in Florida. And um, I watched as, and she thanked me for this, one of my colleagues, after three days, I could not take one more moment of having a conversation, trying to get a point across, and yet she would pick up her phone every 30 seconds, scroll through it to see if there's anything more important than what I was saying happening, <laughs> uh, which is how you feel when when that takes place, right? When you're sitting around and people are just grabbing their device um, and kind of dismissing what you're saying or, or losing focus on what you're saying. And you realize this, right? So after a few days, I just pulled her aside and I said, you know, can you just put the phone down? It's so obnoxious, so rude. And um, she did. And about, I don't know, 10 days later, she called me and thanked me because no one had ever told her that before. Right. And uh, she said, I started to realize what I was doing and w how my actions were, you know, perceived. At the same time, I'm at my son's and I have my four-year-old uh, granddaughter who I don't see much because I'm in Los Angeles. And so, um, and Parker and I are getting to know each other <laughs> and we go to dinner and my son is across the table with the little one and the entire dinner, he was there basically checking his phone, just like my girlfriend every 30 seconds, it seemed like. And, it, and what that what that does to me as the person, you know, sitting there in this conversation, it diminishes me. Uh, that's how I feel. Now, I could take the attitude where, oh, just ignore it. It's no big deal. It's their actions. It's how they are. It's the state of the world. This is what's going on, blah, blah, blah. But I take offense to it. Um, so I told, I, I said to my son, well, meanwhile, Parker, my little granddaughter, she's got her little iPad there. So she's not having a conversation with anybody and she could care less what grandma has to say. So grandma's sitting there at the table like a dumb shit, really, you know, because <laughs> it's like, can somebody talk? Can we have a conversation? Can we please be connected is, you know, what I'm thinking. But then if you back that up and you look at the fact that when my son who is 40 was growing up, Mommy wasn't sitting here on a device all of the time. I wasn't handing him a device. I wasn't handing my 30-year-old a device. I was handing them crayons and a coloring book when we were out to dinner. You know, I was, life was just different. So as parents and as grandparents, our actions and as colleagues and, and associates and whatever it might be, our actions are what's determining how people react to us and our actions are also determining how we feel about ourselves. Now, 
I think I've expressed in the past in your rooms, Johnny, that um, the FOMO thing for me with Clubhouse, uh, my year anniversary was yesterday. I actually kind of avoided coming on because I had the red balloon and I didn't want people to go, oh, you got a red balloon. It's like so superficial and kind of silly. But um, <laughs> I was I suffered greatly from uh, first feeling as though connecting with everyone was such a godsend, right? We're coming out of it. We're in the pandemic, blah, blah, blah. I work from home. I have for 20 something years. I really enjoyed this connection and I got to hear what people were saying, people were doing, how they were feeling. But then, yeah, I got to the point where, um, and it, back in last January and February, it was kind of a, a crap show here on, on, um, clubhouse until it kind of got cleaned up. But I started to feel really crappy about myself. I was losing control, you know, like, oh, what's happening? What's happening? What's happening? And, and then I'm listening to my selection of what I was listening to were the, were the car wrecks, just like human nature has you turn your head as you're driving by, you know, the car crash. Um, and, and, and so I took time off because I started to look within myself and I started to become very, um, I was questioning my own success, my own past, my own accomplishments, where I've been, what I've done in my life. And I started to compare myself to all of these people that, uh, you know, basically, you know, come to my click funnel, come here, do this, pitching their businesses, talking about how great they were and how wonderful they were. And I really started to feel inferior until I, st I realized um a few months later, I, in deep retrospect, that I have already accomplished all of these things that people are. I'm 66 years old. I've been successful. I need to stop listening to people who are 20, 30 years younger than me, comparing myself to them, and then thinking, I've got to go do the same thing. Well, I've got to go do courses, or I have to have this whole, you know, um, move on in, in your life Take your wisdom as I listened to Chris on wisdom and I met Chris, I think, on wisdom. You take your, you have to take what's in your soul and, um, and understand that yes, connectivity is the biggest dis disconnector that has ever, um, come into humanity. And that if we, if, 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 Coming into coming onto Clubhouse into your rooms and, and um, Dr. Roshnek's room and all of the beautiful rooms that now exist on Clubhouse is where I feed my soul and where I come to collaborate and to talk and to share. But I believe that it is we're all grown ups here in this room and we have to take actions, our actions. What we do is what is going to foster the uh, the future and, and what happens. And we have to take responsibility somewhat for that as opposed to just kind of be part of the problem. Because you, you it's like Dr. Roshanak said, you find yourself in these rooms sometimes just because you're human. And you go, oh, I'm going to listen to this. And then you go, oh, my God, humanity really does suck. So <laughs> um, that's what I that's part of what I have to say. And I just wanted to express that. I think we have to take responsibility to change the future of what's happening. Thank this you, is Jenny. this is Baba. Can I just follow on from what Wendy has just said? Yeah, go ahead. Um, Wendy made an excellent point about when she was there with her grandchildren, with her children, and they were looking at her phone every other minute. Now, 
I'd say I have two things to say. First of all, if somebody ever does that to me, I literally call them out on their shit. Forgive my language. I turn around and say to them, listen, are you putting astronauts on the moon or are you performing open heart surgery? Because unless you're doing one of those two things, there is nothing more important for you than talking to me right now. And if there is something more important, then maybe you should be doing that rather than this. And the second thing I would say, as much as I love all of my clubhouse friends, I recently had to go to London um, to, to see my mother. And following that, I was in a room with a load of my family. Now, as much as I love my clubhouse people, I did not spend a house while I was with them. Because whilst people are with me in person, they get priority. They get priority over anyone on any social. They'll get even priority over somebody telephoning me. If somebody telephones me, unless it's urgent, I don't take the call. And people often say to me, aren't you going to get that? And my answer is no, because there is nothing that that person has to say that supersedes my time with you right now. So I think more of us need to act like that and take responsibility and take leadership and be an example for others, others to follow rather than just sitting and suffering in silence. With that, I land my plane. Yeah, I thought that was brilliant, uh, Baba. And welcome to Recruitment and Careers. This is the uh, first time I've got to hear you. And I thought you were very, very punchy and powerful in your points. And back to you, Wendy, as well, when it, when it comes about comparing. This is one of the, the greatest issues of our time, the comparison culture that we're in. And social media has exponentially increased that by tenfold. And I did a post recently on, on social media, and it's about stop comparing. And, you know, often when people go on Instagram or TikTok, they think all these happy, beautiful people, they must have it all. Well, I'll tell you something. Nobody, but nobody has it all. Just always remember that uh, next time when you're on these sites. Um, okay, who wants to chime in next? Laura and Nadia. Laura? Are you there? I am here, Johnny. Thank you for bringing me up, first of all. And I was clapping at what you were saying. Don't necessarily have, I actually have so much to say. Don't know how to phrase it yet, but I feel like, I feel like this is all a part of a puzzle and I'll probably speak in what seems like verbal hieroglyphs, but I feel like um, this social media um, reality is part of a puzzle that's going to, it's a wonderful outlet. It's wonderful to connect. It's important to connect. At the same time, when we have become so dependent on it, and there are other avenues that are closely connected to it, other entities, other corporations, other intentions that are so closely knit and connected to it that at the same time are trying to access our ways of thinking and psyche and our, our our interpersonal world trying to do the same thing. It's just, a, and I get, this is, a, this is probably a very unpopular opinion in certain spaces, but um, it just, it kind of always has me thinking at what point do we become automatically mobilized through these avenues to react in specific ways that are not necessarily our own. It's about as much as I can conjure into words at this point. I'm very, very enthralled by social media. Obviously, I use it. I do think it has a wonderful side to it, but I think there's a sinister 
mobility behind it that I'm just piecing together myself. Again, I think it's kind of like a puzzle. Um, and I'd love to hear people's thoughts on that. I'm Laura and I yield the floor. Oh, thank you so much, Laura. Loved your points. Anyone want to chime in on that before I go to Nadia? Nadia, go ahead. Thank you so much, John. And again, thank you as well for bringing me on stage. Um, really interesting topic. You guys are um, basically all um, adding great value into. And I think where I'd like to um, add a little bit of an angle to is where some of you were referring to the implications of using social media almost intermittently. Now, I'm a digital marketer working for blue chip brands in the UK. However, I'm also a mother, hence why I became recently a mental health first aider. Now, you can probably deduct from this uh, my concerns. Seeing from within the powerful tools uh, we as marketers are being exposed to in abundance when it comes to data granularity, time spent on social media, as well as noticing how easy younger generations are getting themselves attracted to the far end of um, the easy games, the so-called entitlement syndrome. Now, if you would ask um, the majority of youngsters, uh, might probably say these days, if who they want to become in future, what their dream uh, job might be, a staggering amount or a number would actually go for uh, the job of an influencer. Now, I'm, as a parent, um, I'm wondering, would any of you actually want or support your child if you'd hear that their dream job would be to become an influencer? Because uh, the reason I'm asking this, I'm recently, um, I've recently been um, in uh, a campaign production with an influencer who uh, basically took uh, quite a substantial amount uh, of spend from Google and Facebook PPC to fund this campaign with this influencer. And so I became really connected with the influencer seeing um, how tedious the content production might actually be, how much it takes away from her um, real-life um, job as a mother of three kids um, and how much time she's spending on social media day in, day in. And some of you were referring to the punishment um, effect from there, whereby, you know, if you don't post on social media as often, you get that punishment effect. I've actually seen that happening for her. And it made me feel very sorry for the life she's actually um, having, despite of her having over 60K followers on um, Instagram. Now, you know, it may sound very attractive for the brands, but for her life, for her actual well-being, I don't think it is. So, you know, as a parent, um, I definitely wouldn't like my children to rely on an influencer slash content creation as a way to um, build their career. Now, I'd be very curious to hear any thoughts in the room on that. Um, and before I go, <laughs> well, not go physically, but just literally uh, leave the stage, I'd love to um, to hear if anyone has read the recent uh, book that David Eggers has produced. It's called The Avery, a continuation of the circle from here. I'm done speaking. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much, Nadia. I love that. And yes, even in China, they did a poll uh, of youngsters and, uh, and said, you know, what do you, what do you want to be when you grow up? And guess what? The most popular option was become an influencer. Who wants to answer Nadia's question? Just flash your mic, free-flowing conversation. Christine, welcome. Christopher, welcome. Justine, welcome. LinkedIn, LinkedIn Seb, I see you on mic. And Adele, also welcome. LinkedIn Seb, go ahead. LinkedIn Seb, over to you. Thank you. So... I know this is going to sound very unpopular coming from me, but if you want to be an influencer, then work hard and give to the people around you and be called one. Be seen as one. Don't just act like one. 
because you're just chasing the end result without building what's underneath it. You're building a house literally on sticks and cards, or what I call a layer of foundation and a lot of rouge and I don't know what else people put on for makeup. You want to be an influencer, you really want to make an impact, influence people. To do that, you need to have character, you need to stand up for something, you need to know something really well. What is it? Influence from there. Don't be an influencer that only brands recognize because that's not really an influencer. You're just deemed as one because you are used as a tool. Yes, you are used as a tool for the brands to get themselves out there into the market and into the people's eyes. And nothing more than just a paid tool. A well-paid tool, a very recognized tool, but a tool. Do you want to be a tool or an influencer? This is Beat Up Dad speaking. Mm, I love that. Who wants to chime in on that? I see uh, Chris and I see, sorry, who else was that? Oh. Adele. Okay, Chris, Adele, and John the Bomb. Chris, Adele. Chris, go ahead. Thanks, brother. I've just been soaking in a lot of what Laura shared and Kimberly earlier. Um, wow, there was a lot of bookmarking. Uh, but to uh, to speak directly to uh, Nadia's point, there, there's two people I wish were here in this conversation. One is, um, I don't know if any of you all know Michael Sanchez, but he is one of the people I really trust in the marketing space. Um, he's a, a data guy and constantly looking at trending happening in China and, and bringing that out to his audiences one of the smartest marketing minds I've connected with and his social rooms are bringing together, um, you know, top team members from uh, Snapchat, TikTok, clubhouse. So it's always great to talk to those guys. Um, it's interesting, right? Cause we're kind of converging on uh, the, the data side from the digital marketing side. And so Michael Sanchez. And the other thing I was going to say is I wish we had uh, somebody from Gen Z here to, to provide a perspective as well. Um, so here's my thoughts on, on what we shared about your kids being influencers um, the term is being loosely used for affiliate marketing and the term is being loosely, uh, discussed because there is no definition. And here's something interesting to think about. Um, Peter Diamandis, um, is a guy that, that I listen to. I don't listen to and digest a lot of content, but Peter and Ray Kurzweil, um, have done a tremendous job of bringing a lot of data to the table when it comes to our future and technology. If you want to check out his book, The Future is Faster Than You Think, I think it'd be a compelling read, even the first chapter of it, if you're somebody who loves innovation, technology, and uh, futurism. And Ray, obviously, uh, is a genius. But um, the interesting thing is, right, we've had a fear of technology throughout our history. You know, we feared uh, during the atomic age, as we had things happen with rockets, we started thinking about this utopian society and then robots killing us. We've gone into the 80s and 90s where consumerism fuels, especially here in the U.S., we're a consumer-based economy. And so marketing really hasn't changed much. I mean, copywriting as a skill set, which is persuasive writing to get people to buy stuff, really hasn't changed in function for over 100 years. The same copy works that was in Macy's ads back in the day. So what's happening now is you're seeing businesses begin to flourish because they're using quote-unquote influencer-based marketing. So now you have so many startups. And why do we have more startups or small businesses? Because the cost of an internet-based business in 2001 cost $5 million. In 2017, 2018, that cost is $5,000 or less now. And so now you have this interesting space where anybody and everyone can start a business. Should everybody start a business? In my opinion, personally, no. Not everybody should be an entrepreneur and everybody can be an entrepreneur. But what happened is uh, Peter Diamandis was talking about how when folks were fearing the internet and mass adoption, 
in the early 2000s with these tech startups, there was a fear of job loss, which is huge. You had a huge indication of people leaving factories and, and whatever automation was taking place. And so the internet actually replaced and gave 1.6 to two new jobs for every job that was lost. So there's a continual need to understand what's coming into our world. Influencer-based marketing is a huge tactic now. It costs less for the companies. Um, it's more geared, beneficial to, like I said earlier, the micro-influencer. And so you're going to see more and more and more of that. Now, my question I have, because I'm 36, I don't have kids yet. I, I preface that. And my good buddy Josh is actually out in the audience right now. And we've had some very deep conversations in rooms about, you know, he's in his 40s, I'm 36. Are we going to have kids? right? Are we going to bring children into this world with what's going on? And why that matters to this discussion is having the conversation around, you know, if your child wants to be an influencer, I guess the first question is really, what do they understand an influencer to be? I can tell you that there are adults that are 30, 40, 50 years old who come to me and say they want to be entrepreneurs and they have no idea what an entrepreneur does. So what's the difference? And so I, I think it's important for us to, to really operationalize these things and look at them objectively and say, if my child wanted to get into sales, so to speak, because I was in sales for a long time, rock on, because sales is one of the only careers that also with, uh, withstood a 2009 recession in uh, the US. So I, I think it's important. And again, the conversation is very nuanced, but uh, I would have personally no problem with that as long as we were able to objectively understand how companies use these platforms, what they're being utilized for. And we bring it down to decision-making because decision-making is the problem. That really is it. Are we really teaching critical thinking? Are we teaching analytical thinking? Are we teaching strategic thinking in our schools or not? <laughs> I don't think we are, especially in the U.S. And I, I think that it boils back down to uh, how much are we instilling our own emotions into the conversation sometimes? And I'm a very spiritual dude, but you know, I think we can't conflate our emotions in with where we are currently and what's coming our way over the next decade in technology and what that means for you know emerging teens gen zers who value freedom that's their biggest value as a generation is freedom and each generation is just a response to the former so my generation was one of the first generations that couldn't be promised go to school graduate with a degree get a good job and then actually you know and retire at 65 with a pension so you know i just encourage some of that thought process in there too but that's a lot of rambling off my soapbox back to you johnny no, I love that perspective. And what you said is it, it, powerful because, you know, I've said this in other rooms, recruitment careers, AI and automation is going to replace 40 to 50% of jobs in the next five to 10 years, 40 to 50% of jobs in the next five to 10 years. So it's all well and good wanting to be an influencer. A lot of it is because we've got instant gratification culture where people want to get rich quickly or famous quickly. Um, they want it instant. Um, as opposed to what really happens in real life, which is incremental improvements per day, per week, per month, leads to enormous uh, uh, results in terms of what you do uh, as a person or as a business. And if you are going to be thinking about your future, and this is why I would teach my kids, you know, the, the skills that are going to be needed and social media will be an avenue for it and it'll probably be augmentated virtual reality you know the metaverse with face meta being the landlord um is critical thinking is emotional intelligence is community building you know these aspects critical thinking community building emotional intelligence you know and that ability to lead as well leadership you know people just because you have a ceo title or a manager title doesn't mean you can lead you know it's an art in its own form so 
think about more on improvement and how you're going to develop because what happens too often in life is we all upgrade our phones but we don't upgrade ourselves and if we can concentrate with that mindset then the rest will take care of itself but i love that perspective chris and adele i did promise you are you there uh uh you've got the mic Oh, wonderful conversation. And I agree. And part of me is sort of laughing (laughs) because this is inevitable. You know, uh, speaking on the parent question about kids that want to be an influencer, um, one question I've been sitting with is it's a feeling of pervasive, not just for kids, but the whole world, that it's never enough. We always want more. And if I have a million followers, doggone it, I want three million. If I have three million, I want 10. So there's there's this constant, uh, you know, voracious, consumptive need for more, whether it's more resources, more attention, it's never enough. And it's, you know, what I say to folks is, you know, anyone can, would you rather be a star or do you want to be a rock star? And I think that distinction would help kids. Like if kids felt more like a star, they wouldn't feel the need, the hunger that's never fed to be a rock star. But our culture, they're just reflecting what's already happening with the adults. If their own parents are feeling this constant need to make more, and this is just because our system is always, it's never enough. And so social media is just sort of magnifying this constant voracious need for the more. And I feel like unless we have some way to look at how we spend our time, our energy, our attention, which is the biggest currency. It's never enough, but somehow we want to sort of magically hope that our young people feel okay not wanting to be an influencer. And I'm like, well, of course they do. I mean, our entire capitalist system is built on the need for more. And so, um, you know, I don't really have a solution other than just noticing how all of these problems are um, revolving around some similar themes of, you know, the need for the more, the consumption, whether it's more attention, I don't feel enough. That's what the advertisers need. The advertisers need to sell more because that's their, their job depends on making more. So it, it's, it's this endless cycle. And so I don't really think that there's any one area that is at fault. It's more like a sense of, well, of course, so as a parent, it's a, a sense of, well, what can I do, given that I'm sort of, you know, pushing against the massive stream of, you know, what's coming down all the time, at least maybe I can help my kid feel like a star. So they may not need to feel to, like to be a rock star, which is more of a, I need more. Anyway, I'm landing my plane. Um, thanks. Great conversation. No, I was just digesting everything you said. I, I love that. And I think that's human nature, right? We always want more. Um, we always just want more. It's just, I think, is inbuilt in us. Um, but anyone else wants to chime in what they just heard from Adele? Baba? Yeah. Um, when you say that it's fundamental human nature that we always want more, yes and no. To an extent it is. And if you want to understand it, understand one is, is an area of psychology called human need psychology and Robbins of all people and he says there are six fundamental human needs and it's the first two of those now there's no particular order of these needs the only thing that determines the type of life you have 
the value system that you have and the type of life you lead is the order in which you value these needs. We all value each and every one of those six needs. Every single human being on the planet values those six needs. But what determines the direction of your life and by that the quality of your life is the order in which you value those needs. And the second of those needs is what we're talking about is a need for significance, need for importance. Status is another word for it. Um, people have built whole businesses on feeding people's need for significance. One of the most successful of those people is a guy called Steve Wynn. He built hotels in Las Vegas where he gets people to come and gamble and he gets them to lose $20 million. I mean, these are big high ticket rollers. They lose $20 million at a pop and they're thankful for giving him the, giving them the privilege of being able to do that. And he says he uses their need for significance on doing that, on, on, on um, achieving that. Uh, the second thing is that the thing to understand is once you understand human needs and then you change your, your need structure, you then no longer value significance as a need. The thing about significance is that there is always going to be somebody smarter, somebody richer, somebody taller, somebody fatter, somebody slimmer, somebody more pretty than yourself. So it's a never ending game. You will never, ever win that game, no matter what game you're playing. Even if you're the richest man in the world, you will never win that game. So the way to win the game is to not play that game, and that is to change your need structure. That's actually quite difficult to do. And Tony actually does it in his seminars, and the best one, it takes about a week to do. And this is not a plug for that. But once you change your need structure, you then are no longer driven by significance as your main need. There are other needs that are greater that are driving you, and that leads to a better, richer, more enjoyable quality of life. With that, I land. Oh, I love that share, uh, Baba. Who wants to chime in what they've just heard? Saba? Yeah, great discussion. A few points. I mean, this is a, a fascinating discussion because I'm having it with my kids and I'm having it with my uh, colleagues at work. And we're trying to understand, you know, how can we move or do that paradigm shift from being a typical influencer on social media to becoming an influencing team player in a community? Because you can be of influence no matter where you are. The second thing that I want to comment on is the three very critical uh, skills that you focused on, which is critical thinking, community building, and emotional intelligence. I think one thing I'm trying to figure a way to promote is how do we become easily able to unlearn old ways and relearn new ways, the, the continuous rewiring, so that we can keep up with the changes in the algorithm all around. Uh, as a parent, the whole idea of, of my inability to budget for education or learning only once in a lifetime as we you know as as it happened with our generation but introduced to my kids and to people around me that you have to continuously budget for continuous learning because if you really want to stay part um, of this collective a productive part and every part of the collective you have to always be able to budget and think practically on means and ways through which you can upskill yourself to reinvent yourself and continue to be plugged into the bigger um, ecosystem around us so that continuous evolution of a human being is becoming very critical and in that by itself you might find a new way or a new definition of meaning uh, and to replace that 
purpose or meaning uh, um, or to use it to replace what we call needs. You know, we need when we don't feel fulfilled. If you continue to focus on redefining a meaning, a purpose for life, a way to continue to be productive, engaged, part of the collective, this may replace that hunger for collecting more. And instead of measuring your growth by how many followers you have, you measure your growth by how productive and continuously repurposing yourself you can you can be so maybe just a paradigm shift to how we define certain certain aspects in life and figuring a practical way to remain part of the collective might be uh, a way to look at it um i appreciate you all thank you yeah i love that perspective sabah and before i go to mohammed because i saw him flash his mic who wants to chime in what sabah just said just flash your mic in response tracy welcome to recruitment and careers and john the bomb Go ahead, Tracy. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Dr. Rowe, especially thanks for nudging me in here. Uh, Saba, I completely agree with everything you just said. Uh, For background, I'm writing a book um, coming out this spring about uh, social media authenticity and mental health. Um, I have a strong background in social media. I started my career as a reporter at Time Magazine in 2006, where I covered the rise of social media and then developed um, tools that journalists currently use for using social media during breaking news stories. Um, And I I just want to say that, you know, in my research for this book, I've actually been interviewing dozens and dozens of people all over the world about how they use social media in actually positive and powerful and healthy ways. You know, so many, and all of these people, none of them are influencers. Let me put that right out there, uh, Safa, to your point. I I really don't feel that, you know, we need to be influencers um, to make a positive impact in this world, collectively, especially, to your point. Um, But... You know, what I have heard from so many people is that, you know, social media can actually be used for good. And it really comes down to how we use it. It's about what we take in every day. It's about who we choose to connect with and who we choose not to connect with. And it's about what we put out into the world, um, our ideas and our thoughts and our creations and all sorts of just energy even completely transforms us as people and and transforms the work that we do and the impact that we make. And I'm hearing this from people literally from age 22 to 68 years old and they're writers and they're lawyers and they're consultants and artists and you name it. Like these people are all saying the same thing, which is these platforms, you know, it's on us in many ways to change them and to make them better and healthier. And we have that power. Um, And I, I, unfortunately I missed the beginning of this conversation. So I'm going to go back and listen to it, but I just, it's so great to hear so many people here already saying that we have the power to make changes here and it can be used for good. Um, that's it. Thank you so much for having me. No, I love that, Tracy, and great perspective. I see Dr. Rushnak flashing away. And mental health is something I want to touch on uh, uh, shortly as well because it has profound effects when, uh, with, with social media. So I love that perspective. John the Bomb, I did promise you, go ahead. Yeah, I need to go before Dr. Rashna so I don't sound well. So I try to be uh, a little bit uh, uh, perspective. <laughs> she, she's gonna blow me, blow away uh, what I'm about to say. But no, look, uh, you know what a phenomenal conversation. It's it's made me think. I'm I'm kind of I drove to my office and I'm back and I'm just kind of listening in. And I, I will say this. I, okay, and again, this is just you know one humble man's opinion. Um, I think it was started off with Nadia saying, "I'm going to pull over here just to talk." Um, you know, she said something about you know if your kids want to become an influencer, and apparently that might be something that uh, these kids are all over around the world are, are looking at. 
right? I think all of us, you know, I wanted to be Michael Jordan. Uh, the reality was I wasn't six foot six, 230 pounds and just a, a beast at basketball. Um, but if I wanted to go hone my skills, I went out on the basketball court and I dribbled and I dribbled and I dribbled and I shot and I shot and I shot and I did free throws, free throws, free throws. And, and, you know, maybe I got lucky enough to get the shoes and, you know, it's all about the shoes, like uh, the way, uh, what's the name used to talk about. But uh, my point is this, you know, if, if I have three girls, 10, eight and two. Um, yeah. I mean, if they came to me and say, Hey, I want to be an influenced dad and, and the 10 and the eight year old have actually asked me, Hey, you know, and my, and their mother, <clears throat> um, you know, would like to start a YouTube channel. And I said, look, you know, daddy has a YouTube channel. Why don't you go see what daddy's done? And daddy's done a hundred plus videos of interviewing CEOs, founders, entrepreneurs. Tell me what you picked up from that. And they came back and said, well, you know, this, and God, did you prepare the questions or, well, how, how much time did you spend? And, and, you know, do you edit? And, you know, they started researching. So my point is for me in that particular question, it's very clear the way I want to set these kids up for success in my opinion, right. Is that if they want to be someone, they're going to learn how hard it, how, how much hard work it takes to be that person. Right. Cause everybody wants to shine in the bright lights, but nobody wants to know what they had to do in the dark uh, behind the scenes, working their ass off like a Dr. Roshanak. Right. I mean, she, she puts in probably hours and hours of research and Obviously, it took time to get those degrees and those types of things, right? So as an example, or Johnny, who runs a, an incredible recruiting business worldwide, you know, what, what did it take to build something like that, right? And that's my thing is that if they want to be an influencer, great, let's go find out how hard the work is going to be. And then you let me know if you want to be that. The last thing I'll say is this. <clears throat> I, I, it's not take offense, but it's it's more, I I, I really, I feel like, when people say, Hey, you know, when is enough enough? And I'm not sure who it was. And I don't, you know, I'm not disparaging that comment, but I've had friends tell me that. And, and, you know, we're no longer friends. And I don't mean that that comment created the non-friendship, right? It's just the fact that, look, we're on a monetary planet. We're on a planet where all of us can be more, you know, there was a room that I was in a few uh, days ago you know, what can you do to be more something to that effect, like that type of title? You know, I think, unfortunately, you know, when you quit, in my opinion, on some of the things that you want to still improve on, you feel like when is enough enough? If you always feel like there's always an improvement, something I can get better at, a little bit more knowledge I can be, I can do better at, I can pick up a different skill, I can help someone, I can volunteer, I can do something to be better. I don't think you ever say to yourself, when is enough enough? Now, if all your whole focus is money, then fine, whatever. But to me, I think even money is a scorecard, right? Um, you know, I've heard some other people say it on this app, you know, and, and yeah, 100%. There's always going to be, you know, even even Elon Musk is going to face someone that's going to be richer than him, right? When when uh, Bill Gates and, and Warren Buffett fought out for the richest man in the world, all of a sudden Elon Musk is like, you know, four or five or six times richer than them. Right. So monetarily wise, I guess there is some perspective to that to not be so money driven in the sense. But then again, you know, we're a monetary planet, like things move, we're capital, you know, at least those who believe in capitalism. I, my point is still, if you're going to be a human being still living, 
the way I want to teach my kids is that you're always going to be improving. And if that is a person that means that I'm only, you know, I'm always searching for what's more and, you know, then, then, you know, I guess uh, I'm on the wrong path, but I'm going to keep on being on the wrong path, trying to be better all the time. So that's just me, John, the bomb building others means business. I'm out. Thanks, John. I love that John, the bomb. And I'll tell you what it took to, to develop a, a successful recruitment business or as a careers coach in very saturated competitive industries and it's the ability to have a bouncy bum. And what I mean by that is the ability to get back up when you get knocked down. Because one thing is uh, certainly right, uh, uh, certainly in life, we all fail, right? And we'll fail again. And it's how you react to adversity and how you respond to that and never giving up is the recipe to succeed, to success. And also to just constantly looking to improve, like you said, improve, improve, improve. Look at, look at what's going on. Look at who's coming up constantly seeking how you can get more improvement um so i want to point to the reference to the link above my head it's uh, johnny nash uh, uh, i'm a, a careers coach and the global headhunter i'm ranked in the top one percent by linkedin ssi and the problem that a lot of people have is work the fact is too many people don't fulfill their potential we all have a talent everyone in this audience everyone on this stage but the reason why people don't fulfill their talent is one, they don't recognize their talent or two, they don't optimize their talent. And 85% of people are unhappy in what they do, which has profound mental health uh, effects and problems with their personal life. Because if you're not happy at work, it has knock on effects. So what I'm trying to do is create a community where people that work with me are not in that 85%, they're in the 15% of people that are happy in what they do and they fulfill their potential. So if you are interested in that, please do reach uh, to, out to me on my link above. Now back to the room, who wants to chime in next? I said Mohammed. Mohammed, go ahead. Hi, Johnny. Thank you very much for this uh, great subject again, <laughs> as usual. Um, I loved what uh, the distinction uh, made by Adele uh, between star and rock star, and I have used that with, uh, when talking to my nephew next time, who wants to become a YouTuber, as, <laughs> as usual. So I think that's, uh, uh, that's a great distinction. Um, the uh, the uh, social media, such as everything in life, has uh, pros and cons or advantages and disadvantages, and it's up to us or our choice how to use that. And those who are responsible use it very wisely. And I would say the majority doesn't. So we have to draw the attention to, to the dark side of, of the social media. I believe Twitter, Instagram, and, and Facebook, whatever, they have uh, good things, and we have to, to, to point that out. Uh, I believe also that we need a code of ethics to govern those platforms. And I don't believe it, it exists. Uh, the, the reports about Instagram recently and the algorithms uh, trying to uh, you know, influence uh, children, uh, that is, uh, of course, uh, unprecedented. And we need to, to address these issues and you know, put the laws in place to, 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 pre to protect uh, the, uh, the, uh, the children and everyone using it. Um, I believe also that privacy is very important and uh, we have to engage and uh, ensure that privacy is being protected. I'm not sure everyone knows what it means, but uh, the, the rule of thumb says if you 
uh, don't pay for the product, you are the product. So every uh, freebie or every free service, uh, name it Facebook, Instagram, and the likes, uh, is using your data or analytics to sell to advertisers or to use it elsewhere. So we have to either move to paid services or ensure that the data being collected is uh, being used responsibly. I believe we have to, to talk about these topics again and again and again so that everyone in this world knows what it means using social media. Thank you. No, thank you, Mohammed, and uh, appreciate your perspective uh, as well on this. So welcome to Robert, who's joined uh, the stage as well, uh, who works with me on this Recruitment and Careers Club. Uh, and also uh, Sevian and Steve, welcome all. So it's a free-flowing conversation. I want to go on to next the point of mental health um, because there has been striking kind of stats where it's becoming uh, more and more prevalent where social media is causing issues when it comes to depression, anxiety, you know, especially if you're impressionable. When you're younger, you know, finding out more about yourself. If, for example, you're suddenly not as popular, or if suddenly your Instagram or your TikTok is not getting the likes or responses that is gained, or you're getting trolled uh, on the internet, and we've all heard of what's going on with stuff like cyberbullying and trolling. You know, this mental health aspect is one of the biggest areas, in my opinion, when it comes to the dark side of social media and the lack of regulation, because. People can, ha when you're young as a teenager or you're particularly impressionable, it can have profound effects. And even if it's not the fact that you're young, it still has an effect because if you're centering your universe, as one person said, that social media is the center of your universe, then if suddenly, for whatever reason, the algorithm goes against you, you're finding that you're not gaining as much traction. Uh, suddenly you start doubting yourself. Suddenly there's some self-loathing. Then you start to look at others as well, that comparison contrasting thing that we talked about. And it can be a perpetuating vicious cycle. Uh, and often people that do social media don't particularly love social media as well. It's not a natural love either for some, but it's the fact that they need to be on it because if they're not on it, then they're, they're outside uh, of the equation than being inside uh, of it for their business and their brand perspective. So I wanted to discuss mental health and the impact of social media and the dark side of that. Who wants to chime in on, on that particular perspective? I do. Uh, sorry. Okay. So Wendy and Chris. Wendy, go ahead. Oh, okay. Thanks. Um, as you were talking, uh, it brought something up for me, and that is no one ever asks the question of what it is what it's doing to marriages, what it's doing to grown-ups <laughs> that have been together for many years um, in relationships and partnerships or whatever it might be. And social media comes along and each person maybe finds their own little world. And I'm talking, this is years, right? So what effect does it really have on not only younger people, but people like grown-ups <laughs> like us that um and how it has affected stale marriages or relationships because i know that you can get lost and create your own world um 
and believe that this is a world, these are my friends, this is what they, my political opinion, whatever it might be. And as a 50, 60 year old, you're finding this whole new world that now is disconnecting you from your nesting partner, let's just say. So that is a subject I'd like to bring up sometime also as opposed to just how does it affect younger people. Thanks, Johnny. You're welcome, Wendy. I, I love that perspective. Uh, Chris, go ahead. And I saw Barbara also on my Chris, go ahead. Hey, thank you, Johnny. And uh, yeah, I think as far as mental health goes, I think it's uh, from, you know, the share I'll have is about perspective, right? I think using social audio as an example, right? You know, there's whole rooms about who ended the room, I got moved, being a moderator. So what I have found is that basically, it's how much you're willing to put into other people's perceptions of you, right? <laughs> like if I get moved out of a room, I don't think anybody is going to care. I know I'm not going to care. And as a result, you know, I can have an experience on social media that doesn't impact, you know, my uh, sense of, uh, you know, mental health, right? And I don't post a lot, you know, I'm here to learn how to use social audio as a tool, hopefully leverage that on um, LinkedIn. But if not, I already know how to monetize my recruitment business without that aspect of social media. So, you know, I think particularly um, as we start thinking about, you know, the family unit, I think, you know, our kids will learn a lot from us. So I think we want to make sure that we're, we're understanding that this is a tool that you can recover from anything and that, you know, don't get into the cyberbullying. Don't get into the fact that, you know, um, the stat, whatever status I think is on social media is in our heads, right? I, I don't think, you know, you have 100 million posts on something, unless you find a way to monetize that, it really doesn't mean a lot, right? So I think that's the perspective that I would lend to it is that it is what you make of it. So don't make too much out of it. Because if you do, I think you're missing out on the benefits of social media and social audio and creating, you know, a negative reality that doesn't need to be there. So I'll leave my share there. Great room as always, Johnny. And for those that missed it, Johnny has a podcast. He would greatly appreciate you listening to his podcast, reviewing that podcast, because as the title of the room suggests, there's uh, algorithms involved. So if you have the time, please uh, consider doing that. This is Chris from Boston. I'm done speaking. Oh, thank you, Chris. So, so kind of you. And I'll put that link up as well. Uh, after. And he makes such a good point, right? Because someone could have 3 million views on TikTok and they're just dancing in a video. Okay, so unless they're going to be something which a brand's going to pick them up for modeling or other kind of aspects, if there's no kind of strategic intentionality to the kind of following you're getting, then I even know people that have got hundreds of thousands of followers on Instagram, um, but they actually are not making money. You know, people think automatically because someone has got such an amount of following, then surely they must be making a good living out of it. As with all things, you have to be very, very smart in the way you're going about what community you're creating and the intentionality and strategic nature of it, rather than just getting that kind of dopium hit of oh, all these followers. I've got all these kind of masses following me. You know, you have to go down the line. So you've got Jake Paul and people like that, but they're, they're very much on the entertainment side of things. They're utilizing boxing and stuff, but they're highly strategic and very, very clever. They know exactly what they're doing with YouTube and stuff. But I think most people, they get lost in all of this, but the smart ones really get it. So just be mindful of that. So that's a really important point, Chris. Uh, Barbara? 
Yeah, thank you, Johnny. Uh, I just wanted to point out what Wendy said, because I think it's super important around the statistics around older people getting much higher divorce rates. Even in China, there are 300% more divorces during the pandemic than ever before. But one thing that I want to talk about is what I call invisible divorce. And I haven't coined this. I read it somewhere in some book. And what it really means is that it's couples that kind of live parallel lives. You know, they have different social media that they participate in. They kind of just live these separate lives and, and don't really come together. And then maybe they'll have a meal in front of the television set or something like that and then go to bed, you know, that kind of thing. So I really think it's, it's important for us to be conscious of that and make sure we don't do that and choose places that empower you, but also make sure that you are aware. My husband, I'll just share really authentically here, last week, he sat with me and he said, I'm getting concerned that you're spending too much time on your phone. He meant Clubhouse, but he doesn't really know Clubhouse. And, uh, and I thought about it. <clears throat> and, and I said to him, you know what, you're absolutely right. I've never spent this much time <laughs> on my phone before in my life, you know. So, uh, so we agreed, you know, I would do your room, Johnny, and, you know, a couple of others, and that would be it. And I would kind of just uh, be aware of that. And, uh, and I have zero, and I mentioned before, but I have zero addiction in wanting, needing followers, etc. But there are a lot of people there in Clubhouse who have an incredible need. It's like their fuel. The more followers they get, the better. But I just want to mention that invisible divorce because I see it happening at all ages, by the way. Thanks. I'm done for now. Thanks, Johnny. Jo Johnny, can I, can I say something? Barbara, I have been invisibly divorced for 15 years. And it's so boring. It's such a boring lifestyle. You love each other, but, you know, you go your separate ways and then you meet at dinner time. And thank you for enlightening me that that is actually a thing. I don't feel so bad now. Uh, I'm done speaking. Thanks. No, I appreciate both your uh, perspectives and, and what you said, Barbara, there as well. So if you are enjoying the conversation, please do follow the club, the Recruitment and Careers Club. Or not follow, join the club. Uh, I keep thinking of the old days clubhouse um and if like chris said if you could do me a massive favor in terms of social currency go on the recruitment careers club podcast on apple it's free uh gonna have lots of content there it's raw it's authentic it's not polished but you know we're living in the age of authenticity folks uh so please have a look at that um and also the great people on stage like dr roshnak and robert and barbara and christopher kimberly wendy john the bomb mohammed lincoln seb baba adele Steve, Saba, Tracy, Sebian, Lyra, you know, all these people, and uh, as well as you in the audience, have curiosity, look left to right, because we want these rooms not just to be information, education, but it's about impact and following through on uh, people that you resonate with, try to create a new relationship, because one of the key indicators which comes nicely about my room on Wednesday within the Recruitment and Careers Club, which is at uh, 5 p.m. UK time, 9 a.m. PST, 12 noon EST, which is about the 15 things that people do to become successful. Uh, and one of the uh, aspects is being able to work on your weaker ties and turning it into stronger ties. So connections is one of the uh, uh, key indicators of why someone becomes successful. So if you can increase your network and turn weaker into stronger ties, you'll be going well. So I'm going to, before I go to introduce Robert into the conversation, I, there was a really interesting question that Jennifer posed and you'll lead on nice to, uh, nicely to the segue to Robert. And she mentioned about the, met, uh, the metaverse, which I talked about earlier. But she states that the metaverse could be your digital your digital profile in the metaverse will be currency. Like most things, we have the option to use social media connection and influence for good. 
The question is, will we use it for good or will selfishness and fear of not being enough win out? Um, so on that decentralized point, I'm going to lead on to Robert. And I did see Dr. Roshanak flash as well. I mean, the mic, that is. Uh, Robert, go ahead. Well, firstly, thank you, Johnny, for, for having me and, and great to see uh, you, Dr. Roshanak, an excellent uh, conversation and, and topic as always. So I would just encourage folks to make sure you are giving Johnny and Dr. Roshanak a follow. So, yeah, it's an interesting point, particularly around decentralization, Johnny, because, you know, I was I was watching um, a few videos on, on YouTube and I've kind of created my own thoughts around this where you know, centralized social media was for the um, for the corporates, but decentralized social media is for the creators. So what I sort of have built in my head around this is, you know, for years and years and years, as we know, um, you know, the large corporates have been extracting our data and be able to use them in various different ways to to make profits. Where where now there's this huge movement towards decentralized social media, and we'll see it more and more this year and, and as you mentioned johnny things like the metaverse and nfts and all these things that people are perhaps reading around and and talking about why i think you know decentralized um, social media is here to stay so i'm on a platform for example called deso um and what's quite good about that is, you know, you have a creator coin. So, you know, I would not dream of perhaps saying something um, very harsh to an individual or rude or insensitive. I wouldn't do that anyway. But there's an added um, thought process that if I was to do that and people held my creator coin, the reality is my value of that coin is going to go down because perhaps reputation, people would not want to be associated with somebody like myself because I think, well, actually that individual, you know, I don't agree with that. And so I'm, I'm not going to want to hold a coin with them or invest in them. So there's one argument to say that actually that sort of accountability piece and reputational piece, you know, you can protect it a little bit more if there's a, a little bit more meaning and substance behind it. So I've found when I've been on those decentralized platforms far less, and this is my own experience far less sort of hatred and a lot more of a community feel also because creators are coming together to help one another it's not for the corporates it's for the creators so you know johnny you're a wonderful social audio content creator probably one of the best that i know here on clubhouse and you produce content time and time again and so it's that sort of environment where i think you know community we can all come through so i'm really excited to see how decentralized social media is going to grow and grow and the communities along with that um along the way but just on your point of of mental health johnny i, I think you know of course we know you know everyone can be a bit of a keyboard warrior at time and people can you know go off on on various different tangents but you know we can always unfollow we can always you know remove those people block those people out of our lives and we can form our own communities and that's why i always come back to your rooms johnny and love collaborating with you because if you surround yourself with the right sort of people then hopefully you will be infiltrating the sort of information and things that are going to be positive and in line with what you want to do in your goal so i hope that helps buddy back to you yeah, that's a, a great perspective as always, Rob. And do check out Rob. Uh, uh, we're trying to build this community, obviously, on Recruitment and Careers Club. Um, and he does many other aspects as well, both on LinkedIn and, um, you know, rooms on social audio coming up as well. So, no, great point about decentralized uh, aspects of this topic. Who wants to chime in with what they've heard or, uh, on that? Just uh, flash your mic. I did say Dr. Rushnak, didn't I? Uh, so go ahead, Dr. Rushnak. <laughs> I'm just going to go back for a second, <laughs> excuse me, and talk about the social media and mental health since that's, you know, my thing. 
Um, so just for some statistical um, perspective, there's a very small percentage of, I'll just talk about U.S., because um, I'm American. So there's only about um, 5 to 10% of Americans that actually are addicted, according to the official criteria, to social media. So it's a small number of people. And social media is, of course, an actual behavioral addiction. And people who are addicted to it can't help themselves but go to social media over and over again. And with respect to relationships, as Rob was discussing, one of the big problems with being addicted to social media is that um, people will turn to social media to distract themselves or to relieve themselves when they are in a negative state. So if they're stressed, if they're lonely, if they're um, depressed, upset, um, anxious, they're going to come to social media to get a quick reward, right? And unfortunately, what happens is they end up ignoring their lives, as we've already heard, whether it's a real-life relationship, so this um, this uh, divorce we were just talking about, um, whether it's not taking care of their physical health because they're just sitting there with their heads bent down. There's another physical problem that actually comes with that. That's not mental health, but physical health is also compromised. And then they just shift out of this undesirable state but without actually facing it in any way, shape, or form. And sometimes it's good for a short term to distract yourself until you can come back, revisit, and then face your challenges and, and learn your lessons and you know resolve your problems. But when one never d- does come back or when one then goes to social media and is further feeling isolated and is further triggered and agitated, as often happens because we've seen this sort of narcissistic aspect of social media, then that's going to lead to spiraling downwards. And this this dependency becomes worse, the feelings become worse, and the addiction, of course, becomes exacerbated, right? So people end up becoming, feeling more isolated, feeling more unhappy, and feeling more the social pressure because they haven't connected to social um, interactions in real life, IRL, as we say, (laughs) and they haven't had an opportunity to share any of their distress, which has been scientifically shown to decrease significantly that negative state. And they also don't have any like positive real world support that they can now turn to as another option. So they just become increasingly distressed, depressed, Um, uh, as a trigger warning, unfortunately, people have become and have died by suicide. They become suicidal. And, um, one of the reasons that I, I had mentioned earlier that uh, the brand Lush Cosmetics was withdrawing was in fact because of this and what had been going on with Facebook and the fact that the majority of their clientele were young women who were having serious problems with their perception of self. So their well-being was becoming compromised. So people develop these social anxiety disorders. And it, of course, also comes from FOMO and so on and so forth, all the things I mentioned. But this compulsive use, as is seen in gambling and and drug uh, use, is the same kind of uh, addiction that we see in social media addiction. So going back to the topic of the room, which is uh, the dark side of the algorithms, when the algorithm is created, 
is engineered as cigarettes have been shown to be engineered to be addictive, they're not just regular nicotine, then when social media algorithms are created to are engineered to get us addicted, then we're really putting ourselves in every way, shape, and form in an incredibly difficult, detrimental, and um, tough to get out of situation. Because the addiction in social media looks like the addiction in substance abuse, where it changes your moods. It's relevant to salience, where you know you keep um, looking for it. It's uh, there are withdrawal symptoms and so on. And so there's relapse. All of it, the same things that you see in um, substance abuse disorders, you see in social media addiction. So when you look at the algorithms, and you should, and how these filters, that's what the problem is with the algorithm. They constantly change the filters, and that's the dark side of it. They don't tell you how they're changing the filters. Then you feel like you're shadow banned. Then you feel like, oh, what do I have to do now to get back up there? These are all the different ways. And because you're now pre um, um what's the word I'm thinking of? Um, you're just caught up in, and all you can think of is, uh, what's happening with me being able to reach people, me getting likes, me getting comments, me being ignored, so on and so preoccupied. That's the word. When you become very preoccupied with all of these effects of the new filters and was I shadow banned and this preoccupation, then you see how you become further and further pulled in and um, yeah, it's it's incredibly dangerous. And the reward that you get, of course, is through the biological reward system, which is dopamine. And in neuroscience, they there's this um, presentation that social media can, you know, this interaction, this addiction, can be the equivalent of having like a syringe of dopamine just being straight up injected into your system. So I want you guys to consider that as we talk about this, Dr. Hashimin, complete. Yeah, I was just, sorry, um, who wants to go in next? I thought that was great points. Lyra, and then I saw Adele as well. Lyra, go ahead. Yeah, so I'm Lyra, and Lyra Louise, and I'm an architect by profession. However, I'm in social media and have recently um, observed a phenomenon through the algorithms that I consulted a data scientist about this. And she gave me an insight that, uh, you know, Facebook and Twitter is where, where I'm mostly active, although, you know, I pop in once in a while in Clubhouse because I've noticed a phenomenon um, on my feeds. Uh, it was uh, it was weird. I was almost like observing how the algorithms were being fashioned according to my reactions. If I say put a like or but but that like that intent on the like, the algorithm doesn't necessarily recognize what my intent for that like is all it sees is okay you 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 liked it and sometimes people like you know like a post for different intentions and what i'm noticing was that the weirdest thing was that um and 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 i i confirmed this with a data scientist that my intent behind liking a post was not interpreted by the algorithm and so then now once i like a post um, th- how it's presented to me in my feed and how I'm viewing it um, is now altered. And what I'm saying is that, for example, um, the uh, the opposite of love or like, you know, is actually uh, not hate, but indifference. So if you don't react to any post, 
then in the future, whether whoever that poster is or whatever that topic is or the keywords associated with that won't constantly show up in your feed. But some people actually like um, like a post, not because they the intent is, uh, you know, that they in really like that post, but it's almost like a passive aggressive um, method of liking because probably they have like people in their network. They want to flag about a certain post that, you know, they want them to react to this, maybe uh, give a counter um, opinion on what was posted. So that the, I think the algorithms have not. Uh, the AI or the algorithms behind um, all these social media platforms have not caught up with intentions of people. And I think this messes up the mental health and interpretations of people's as well, because it also causes um, misunderstandings. And the other, uh, the other um, observations I've I've had just recently, like over New Year's, I attended the first ever global um, virtual New Year's Eve celebration on the metaverse. It was hosted by Decentraland and uh, a real estate developer, a real company that develops, develops land or cities. And they hosted it at uh, New York New York City, a virtual New York City, Times Square. So I was there. I had my avatar. And I, I, I was, you know, I, I selected my outfits and then I interacted with people. So it was almost like social media, but I'm in an avatar. I interacted with them. We, we dance on the um, on um, New York Street, Times Square. But what I'm what I'm observing, too, is now the altered perception of people across generations. It doesn't matter when you whether you're uh, Gen Z, Gen Y, millennials, Gen X, baby boomers. But the interpretation of that kind of relationship that you meet when you meet people online if you've never met them in person sometimes um, the level of uh, interpretation between that kind of relationship relationship is actually skewed because I have met people uh, for example on Twitter that I interact with I'm very congenial and very friendly um, interacting online but then uh, when I meet them in person they feel that they like like we're we're best friends, but we're not because they only see a portion of my personality online, and I get confused a lot by this. And of course, it I, I'm sure it affects their um, mental health as well, but it affects mine as well because then now there's this skewed interpretation of what kind of relationship that is. We're not best friends. I consider like people I've never met in person as acquaintances, but they because um. You, you know, when you post things online, you post things like uh, on a regular basis, but they get to know how you think. And I think that's where the skewing of that interpretation is. But I think, you know, the reason I'm sharing this is I think the algorithms, you know, the main takeaway is the algorithms have not caught up with the intent of the person, whoever is reacting to any post. And this is Lyra, I'm done speaking. Thank you, Lyra, and welcome to Recruitment Careers um, and your perspective on that. Who wants to chime in on that before I go to Adele? Because I did promise LinkedIn, Seb. I'm going to speak very quickly to the algorithm part. We go on these platforms thinking the platforms are there to serve us and we are the king and queens on it. But we forget the platform is there to do one thing, to serve the stakeholders and the key investors. And if we are not the stakeholders and the key investors, they're not there to serve us. 
So they're there to make us addicted. So it's all about behavioral science. The tapping, the double tapping is an addictive behavior. It's like the pulling of the lever in the, in the casino, casino. It's there to get us, what's the easiest way we can get them to keep their attention up so that we can sell it off further as advertising. So if the more we advocate awareness, and I think the solution to it, to it all is being just aware of what it does and who is it meant for, I think that's one way to be moving forward with it. Back to you. Yeah, I'm just digesting your thoughts, um, LinkedIn, so appreciate that. Um, Adele, what's your thoughts? Well, I just wanted to uh, expand on what Lyra was saying because I that was my point. I, I don't feel that the way people interact on social media is natural. It's skewed. I mean, I love what Lyra said. And I'll just share how I feel this tension between, you know, everyone screaming about how important it is to be authentic and yourself on social media in order to get something. And I think it's the second half of that that makes everyone uncomfortable. There's this rumbling. What is the point of social media unless it can be monetized? Like, why do this? So there's always, I mean, that's one perspective. But once upon a time, social media was meant for mere expression, um, TikTok in the beginning was for art and music, and that was pretty much the extent of it. And then over time, people started to strategize. The marketing came in, and there was a feeling like I'm an introvert. I don't really post to get something, but when I'm engaging on social media, I'm aware that I'm sort of being manipulated in, like in a way that would not happen in real life. If I met someone at a party, I am, I'm saying who I am and they're saying who they are. And there's not this rumbling as much because I know I'm uh, being put into a funnel. Like everybody knows this, but it's not really a natural way of human interaction. And so my own mental health is affected by this because I'm an introvert. And on the one hand, I'm yearning and craving connection. I think we all are as humans. And I think Clubhouse does a good job of this. And at the same time, I'm also aware there is a, there's an agenda underneath all of this. And we're all big boys and big girls. It's not offensive. And yet I'm aware that the more people try to be authentic as a technique, as a strategy to get something, it's not normal, you know? And I, I have to be on my toes if I'm connecting to someone are we connecting because we really like each other or are we connecting because I fit their ideal client and oh, let's have a conversation. I'm a big girl. I get it. But it's just this new way of interacting that I think is different. Like what Lyra was saying, it skews how we would naturally engage as humanoids. I mean, this isn't, has nothing to do with the algorithm. This is just humans um, agendas or intentions that are being used in order to get, whether it's more followers to feed a, f a funnel to, to sell something. And I'm not against it. You know, I, I'm an entrepreneur as well, but I feel kind of sad because I feel like this gets in the way of better connections on social media. It's almost like we all have to know going in that, you know, this is, this is the way it is. And mental health gets impacted. If I pour myself with all my authenticity and sincerity into a conversation and let's say that person I don't know, blocks me or whatever, that's going to hurt. 
You know, I mean, we can't pretend to, to try to, that, that, that we're not affected by this, but I haven't found a better solution other than to realize everything on social media interaction, even though we're screaming for authenticity, it's not quite normal either. It's not bad and it's not a hundred percent commercial, but I think the mental health trouble gets, you know, you got to sort, you got to discern. Anyway, I'm landing my plane. This is Adele and I'm done speaking. Thank you. No, I love that Adele. Uh, and what you said, who wants to chime in? What were they heard? Tracy, go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Adele, thank you for all of that. That's the exact topic of the book I'm researching and writing that's coming out this spring. Uh, it's called Social Authentic, actually, the name of the book. Um, and, you know, I teach marketing globally for the University of Chicago. So I completely get that social media has been used, um, has been pretty much hijacked in many ways by brands uh, in the vein of being authentic, which is complete BS um, in many ways, to your point. I have found, though, in, in my interviews with people, that it is completely possible and even natural to be authentic on social media. You know, and so many people are doing it in ways that aren't necessarily leading to growing their businesses or their, quote, personal brands. They're doing it actually as a way to offset the problems of mental health on social media. You know, I've worked in and around social media my entire 16-year career. I created a social network for the Chicago Tribune. I reported on Facebook for Time Magazine. I've done all the things that you can do with social media. And I also fell into a deep, deep, deep depression for years um, because of social media. Um, as Johnny had said earlier, you know, the people who work in social media themselves hate what social media has become. And it's completely true. I've seen it in my students. I've seen it in my peers, all of it. But what I found a couple of years ago after I went through my own therapy and actual EMDR for the PTSD of being called out on Twitter in 2010 for someone else's crap was that I realized that we have way more power than we're giving ourselves credit for. You know, so much of the blame of the social dilemma, the movie or the books that inspired it are all about the problems of the algorithm. But we have to remember that we create the algorithm by how we show up online and what we click with and what we engage with and who we follow and what ads we click on. There is so much power still in our hands. And as we move into decentralized social networks, as other people were talking about with the metaverse, that's amazing because that gives us the chance to create the social networks in a healthier and more empowering way. But until we get there, we have so much more power than we realize. And we can use these social networks for things other than to grow our brands and to make money. We can use them to forge connections and have conversations like we're having right now. We can use them to express ourselves and and just find people like us who have gone through what we've gone through, who are going through what we've been through. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a radical optimist about the future of social media. Uh, I could go on, but as you know now, I'm writing a book about it. So you'll learn more then. Thank you so much for this conversation. It's really great. Oh, I love it, Tracy. And it's great to have you. And I'll be very interested in that book myself. Um, okay, who wants to chime in what they've heard? Uh, just flash your mic, don't be shy. Saba, go ahead, and KB, Saba. Uh, thank you, Johnny. It's a question more than, you know, um, uh, an opinion, really. But listening to the conversation, I, I understand that we sometimes intentionally or unintentionally create different personalities on, you know, the various social media platforms. And each one of those is created for a particular purpose. The question to maybe to Dr. Um, uh, Roshan, if she can help, how do you 
how do you bring all those personalities in, you know, together and make sure that whichever side of you, you, you try or you put effort into presenting on a particular platform is still in sync with the genuine self. So I understand that, you know, as grown-ups, as adults, we have to be very aware of how much we share, but then not to over-present who's not you. How do you remain authentic and bring all those personalities or sub-personalities to be part of your genuine self? Because that's, I think, where the mental health issues start to, you know, exacerbate because you are presenting yourself in different ways to different audiences. So if there's any tips on that, I'd be great. Mm, it's a really good question. Um, I'm going to give my penny's worth for Dr. Roshnak. I think it's a case of reasonable adjustments. So you're still yourself, but how you are with, say, your mum and dad, to how you are with your partner, to how you are on a different platform even, um, it's still you, is a case of just reasonably adjusting your version of yourself. That's my take on it personally. Dr. Roshnak. Thanks so much, Johnny, and uh, thank you for that excellent question, Sabah. Um, I would disagree with the premise. Um, I don't think we become fractionated because we're showing different aspects of ourselves. Um, and I don't see that the data shows that either. It's more the way that we are interacting and moving the locus of our power externally that is problematic so that we go to social media to get validated not to have different aspects of ourselves be shown or not shown. Um, the fact that we are removing ourselves from the equation of having self-worth and putting that power into other people's hands and putting that into, um, sorry, got a call, and putting that into uh, a place when we are already in a negative state, looking for that reinforcement looking for that distraction, looking for that dopamine hit. We are avoiding reality, as it were, going into this false reality, which is the social media platform, and looking to get fulfilled, that dopamine hit, that reward there. And this is how the problem starts. Like any addiction, you remove your, sorry, you remove yourself from what's happening and you escape into something else to get that reward, never then facing what you have and becoming further and further addicted through rewiring of getting that dopamine hit, of getting that reward. Does that make some sense? It Sabah? does. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, I love that. Um, who wants to chime in next? Just flash your mic. And those in the audience, don't be shy as well. I did say KB, to be fair. And I also saw Dr. Al. So KB and Dips are welcome uh, as well to the stage. KB, go ahead. Um, hello. Hi. Hi, Johnny. Hi, everyone. Um, it's KB here. Um, I just wanted to kind of touch on the point of, um, obviously, um, so as somebody who is building a social media platform as well, um, social media isn't built or, what, or the current social media we have isn't built for um for good is built for amplification and that's what the algorithms do you know and when we look in the future where we then have ai systems this is really really dangerous because these systems are being built without actually taking into consideration human nature you know we're going to be engineering new basically new humans the way they think, new society, and 
a negative world because the algorithms will go for what gives it the best, the most eyeballs. You know, the content that would attract the most people, that's how these systems are built. And obviously, yes, we could change that. Yes, we can do um, good with social media, but that isn't, that isn't being done. We're far, far away from that because the incentives are very different for these platforms. It's about an unrealistic growth, or, um, hockey stick growth in terms of revenue, uh, hockey stick growth in terms of um, people that could go on onto those platforms. We do have seven point, I think seven point eight billion people in the world. It is getting as much of those people on this platform. So and and if we then I heard someone talk about decentralization, that is even that will prove an even worse disaster. Because until we kind of resolve and address some of the major issues we have with the current social media system, the current way we interact with each other, decentralization, this is a system that I know because I'm building one of those too is going to be so painful because there will be no coming back. Think about it. Someone makes a post about you that is false or revenge porn or blackmail. That isn't going off that blockchain or that whatever is hosting it. You can't get rid of it. That permanence, that nature of permanence. So probably social media isn't the best use case for a decentralized system. It might be good for Bitcoin, but when you're talking about people's lives, think about Teenagers, societies will want society will want to give a second chance. You make a mistake, which most most teenagers do, and most of us do. That is then written into that blockchain decentralized system. Who then has the power to vote get that stuff off? Nobody, because nobody has a responsibility for it. So these are things that I have been speaking out on and saying, yes, you're talking about decentralized social media. Uh, but have we addressed these issues? Nobody wants to address it in terms of use of blockchain. There's also going to be an, a lot of cost involved because in order to actually load an image using a decentralized system, it would cost a lot if a lot of people didn't get onto those systems. Plus, every click would cost you because you would need some sort of verification and validation of those. So these are some things we're not thinking about. We're going, but I want everyone to be involved with that conversation. And to kind of think, let's build this system better than we built the previous social media systems. And also, let's think about the human cost. It's so important because social media is meant to be about networks, interaction. It has to be something for good. It's possible that we do this, that we build something that's um, for good. But if we keep looking at money, keep looking at people as products, just products alone, we wouldn't get there. And please, let's not go to decentralization right now. I'm telling you this. I know the systems. I know how they are built. We are just approaching. It will be such a disaster. You know, um, utopia is nice, <laughs> but we are going to create such a dystopian society. We wouldn't know what he does. We saw this with social media. We built without actually thinking about what we were building. You know, yes, somebody mentioned about we have a choice to to choose who we interact with. No, you don't. It makes it very difficult for you to choose who you interact with because it keeps showing you people even people you want to hide away from, people you don't even know. I'll give before I before I round up, I'll give an example. I stayed I stayed in a hotel. I was on a business trip. I stayed in a hotel. Every day I came down for breakfast. I saw this young lady every like you know just across from me every day. And what does LinkedIn do? The next, because we're connected to the same Wi-Fi, kept show, obviously showed me her profile, where she worked, everything about her. Now I didn't even know her name. 
Now that isn't right. Because she didn't even have the chance to introduce herself to me. I later spoke to her. We got talking. And this is the first time she's actually, you know, she's actually been away from her family home. All the way from Spain. Now that isn't right. That is sort of an invasion. Yes, she might have left a profile open for recruiters to kind of contact her, but for you to kind of in an environment like that, she's just arrived at the city. These are the sort of things we need to think about, guys. Please. You know, there is possibly that we do something good, but algorithms have got to go. Because with AI, you build the society you want and the people you want. And if it sees that society is negative, that's what AI will give you. It would help you would build a very negative mindset, a very negative society. Thank you, guys. Thank you for letting me speak. Thank you so much. I love that, KB. And welcome to Recruitment Careers. I've just given you a follow. Um, who wants to pick up that point of the decentralized aspect? And I've just put a link up uh, of me on Twitter. I've just joined Twitter, folks, uh, just two weeks ago. I'm getting with the program. So if you, I'm going to be making content on there soon at some point as well. As my first love and my real love is Clubhouse, um, but also we'll be doing some different types of content as well. So if you are enjoying it, uh, the type of rooms I do, please put the bell on my head, not for vanity reasons, just for algorithm reasons, because you get lost in the hallway and then you see me go live and I put a lot of effort into these kind of rooms both in terms of my time and the content and also I'll be doing on Twitter. So uh, put a link on Twitter. So if you want to follow me on Twitter, I've just, I'm a newbie there in terms of just joining the platform, but uh, looking to make content. So who wants to uh, uh, chime in on that point that KB just said, just flash your mic. Okay. So who wants to go next? Just flash your mic on this topic. Uh, Dr. Rao, I promise Dr. Rao, go ahead. Hi, Johnny. Hi, Dr. Roshnak. Um, I was going to pick up on what uh, Dr. Roshnak was talking about, fulfillment. Um, is that really possible in a, you know, uh, where people are looking for something rather than come with fulfillment, you know? I, I agree with that because uh, you have your spiritual quest or whatever excellence in a very art. You bring in something and you share I think it's a nice platform. So just come with the intention of giving is okay. But what you can pick up un unconsciously, um, this need for the you know likes and comments and appreciation or ego stroking, that may be uh, you know wrong thing and a bad thing for you in the long run too. So that's where social media can play their game. But you get to be assertive about your fulfillment and your avenues that you have grow personally growth outside. And people are really looking for it and wanting to have a dialogue. That's good. But uh, if they don't, you don't want to rub it in your own philosophy on them, but just to relate to them in a friendly way. Uh, you gain a lot of people, but only for the sake of gaining them. But they don't get really involved in... Uh, uh, real deep discussions on the social media by the very nature of uh, rooms uh, are diverse and uh, topics are diverse and uh, so uh, not all the people are really exploring for truth for the truth's sake they want something uh, on the side too so social media has to be watched especially AI coming it's going to erode the attention more it's going to erode the community sense more and we can use it very effectively, but being aware of this would help, I think. You know, And also, this sense of uh, conversation where um, you just uh, 
participate just for the sake of participate versus maybe a better uh, uh, arrangement like in the uh, wisdom app i'm finding uh, people can talk for a while and they can determine the time uh, that would help to explore the things in a rather deep way and that's more uh, fulfilling for people i believe thank you Thank you, Dr. Rao. I uh, appreciate you uh, uh, indeed and your perspective. Who wants to chime in on what Dr. Rao just said? Okay, so I'm going to give another aspect to this. Um, so for those of you just joining in the room, we're talking about the dark side of social media, how algorithms rule our lives. Um, just send uh, uh, an invite to Lex. if you, You're more than welcome to come up. If you want to just chill back in the audience, that's absolutely fine as well. Um, so... The aspect I want to now talk about is the fact that when you get reduced visibility of content on social media, so many brands are struggling to get their content seen by the people they are connected with on social media without resorting to engagement bait. You know, we've seen that at times with Clubhouse, you know, where we've had discussions about, you know, rooms that are clickbaitish, you know. So what they're looking at is prioritizing and promoting high performing content that games the system forces brands to behave in certain ways in order to be seen so a guy called uh, 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 Harry Gardine who's the Nexus head of social explains how more and more brands are relying on engagement bait tactics such as collaborations trend jacking and uh, memes to to be actually seen so the more engaged brands online are the funniest right so when you've seen videos, you've seen even business or thought leaders making kind of funny type of quirky videos. So every business is trying to create a quirky type personality for fear of becoming irrelevant. Uh, and the irony is that by the time social media teams get the go ahead to react to trends, uh, it's usually too late. So I want to ask the question to people, you know, how do we feel about engagement and social media and are people or brands resorting more to uh aspects where they're looking for engagement bait you know you hear about people buying likes for example even brands on certain kind of uh, uh social media platforms like instagram or what uh, or the likes of that you know what what what's the what's the kind of force on the panel on that particular aspect just uh flash your mic don't speak all at once. Uh, <laughs> and there, uh, go ahead. Uh, uh, that's that's kind of what I do for my entire like professional life. <laughs> so it's interesting, Johnny, that you should bring that up because um, right now I'm dealing with a solar company uh, in South Florida. I'm in Los Angeles, but anyway, you know they're they're basically a hybrid. All of these solar companies are like a hybrid of a SaaS of a you know software as a service and. And it's all lead gen and it's all click funnel and it's all bots and SMS and terrible CRM that happens. And um, but absolutely, it is the blood of D2C and uh, uh, startup tech startups that want to have recurring revenue with these subscription models for, you know. Um, so, yeah, it is definitely alive and thriving. And they are paying a lot of money, of course, for leads and um paying a lot of money for leads that don't go anywhere because the, they don't really understand how to do that on the back end and understand where to get their leads from. But it is a huge business. And yeah, so um, uh, why are you asking that that question? Can you go a little bit deeper as to? It goes back to the algorithms, doesn't it? 
Oh, absolutely. So when, yeah. you, when you're getting reduced visibility, then, you know, people have spoken about this on Clubhouse, for example, on rooms. So you take it to a wider context where even brands are looking at it, thinking, you know, how are we going to game this system where we're going to get on top of the feed or we're going to uh, resort to things that are engagement bait in order to, to get that engagement level going because that is a pressing kind of issue across the board and it just goes back to that dark side that one could argue in terms of manipulation of social media we've talked about the fact that the platforms are addictive but it's actually the consumers the paying consumers rather that are doing the manipulating Okay, so uh, that's just basic marketing, really, because brands, of course, now, you know, there's a new head of the FTC here in the United States, and their eyes are very wide open. So I would say to everybody, they're coming after you if you're doing, uh, even if you just have these little courses and things like that, they're going to come after you if you say that there's a scarcity, right? It's only available for the first 20 people when it's really available forever for thousands of people online. All of these things are being highly looked at. Because, um, you know, when you say almost like clickbait, right, it's like these headlines, but, what the, but that's good copy. That's if you're within the guidelines, this is advertising. And when the brands are there spending all of that money, sure, they're, and they've been doing that for years, they're going to rise to the top, they rise to the top on, you know, Google search, they're all over YouTube, they're everywhere there. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's just the nature of What's driving, you know, consumers drive everything. You, you as a consumer also drive up your shipping costs because you're too lazy to go to the store to order. So you order from Amazon and, and, and that box of pencils. I've said this before. That's what happens to get that stupid little box of pencils to you as a lazy consumer because you think you're getting free shipping on Amazon because you're paying this prime. It's all marketing. It's all bull crap. But yet, um, you, because you do that, when you go to the post office, your ca the carrier fees are so high for shipping. If anybody has noticed, you have to pay so much money to just ship a package. That's because you have driven by buying into this marketing thing of free shipping on Amazon, right? It's so convenient. Let me get five packages a day and then return them if I don't like them. But you're actually hurting yourself at your own pocket because it drove the shipping rates directly to the consumer up. So everything is consumer driven. And brands listen very deeply through these algorithms of what the consumer is saying. And if they, they're really smart, they do it. They build uh, transparency and trust, and they do it through relationships. And that now they have a sustainable, ongoing business that they can thrive um, by using all sorts of different tactics in omni-channel marketing. I'm out of breath. <laughs> Thank you. No, I love that. Uh, uh points of view there Adele and your insight because let's face it data is the new oil and I keep saying this in the world of recruitment and careers and I've put my link above my head uh, on LinkedIn I've got a large community on there and being a headhunter for nearly 24 years within the world of tech uh, fintech and digital in particular and data has been mined all the time all the time and the algorithm it feeds off that, you know, that's how it works, you know, machine learning and stuff in terms of predictive behaviors. And we're getting a lot of our stuff, which we're voluntarily giving for through our likes, for example, or, um, you know, what we share and stuff like that. And then what happens is that 
the machine learning system of it starts to predict how much of our behavior is based around the data that we're freely giving. So a lot of the algorithm then gets manipulated in terms of our feed. So when we open up a YouTube or when we open up whatever this, it go all is based around the data, the data, and the data is the king. The data is where the money is. You own the data. You know, you, 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 the reason why Amazon and all these kind of companies are, are incredibly successful is not only they have great services, but they create an ecosystem where they move you around the ecosystem. And data is so important to be harvest, uh, harvested and mined and kept. So we just need to be mindful of when we open up recommendations, for example, maybe we could think twice instead of just following up what's the recommended and actually try to make a little bit more of our own decisions. But if we don't have algorithms, then I suppose it's going to affect the experience because there's something called time for fun. The reason why YouTube and Instagram platforms are so successful it takes on average about seven seconds to find something of interest the reason why social audio is so difficult is the live nature of social audio and maybe replays is the bridge between so anyone else wants to chime in with what they've heard just flash their mic i see storm up on uh, the stage good to see you buddy um more than welcome to share on the topic about social media the dark side of social media and how algorithms rule our lives. Sorry, I've been going for nearly three hours. Uh, more than welcome to share uh, your perspective, buddy. Well, Johnny, I appreciate the the room because, you know, I saw it earlier and I'm like, all right, I got to get out of my meetings because I need to listen in a little bit more. You know, what I really believe is is incredibly scary to me. Now, it probably isn't going to be scary to everybody else, but just how precise they are and surgical they are about knowing our information and where they got it. What's crazy is we might be able to track it, you know, to an extent, yet how many companies have sold our information to other companies unwillingly or unknowingly and getting into our heads as far as what we like, feel and, you know, want, it's absolutely insane to the point to where a lot of these tech companies, when they first started, I mean, if we think about 20 or 30 years ago, if we liked something, we bought something. We didn't have it in our face 24 seven and they used it as a shotgun blast on infomercials and commercials, just trying to get in front of us. And now they have so much access to us. I wonder where the line of ethics and privacy come in. So I don't think that's a question that really, you know, I think that can be debated one way or another on both spectrums. It just makes me wonder now that we are on so many social media platforms, we're so visible to everyone and not only companies, but also our governments. I found something really kind of, I chuckled today because, you know, that 10 year challenge that everybody's doing on Facebook and uh, there was a meme that says, if you really want the government to update your bio, you know, your, your facial recognition, just do a 10 year challenge and they'll do it for you. And it makes me wonder, I wonder if that could have a little bit of truth to it. So, Johnny, I'm glad you've been going for three hours. It's really great to hear a lot of the different introspection as far as really a lot of things that are hitting on point. And I uh, just can't wait to hear more. But that's just my two cents for right now, my friend. Uh, always gold storm and he's definitely a person you need to follow on this app or other apps always offers so much value and uh, you're telling us you've got a life outside of clubhouse and you're working and you've got business and everything and you're not here 24 7 storm is that is that what you're trying to say well you know <laughs> the, the new year has drawn us back into clubhouse because i took about a four-month break and you know we're gonna find time 
to find rooms that really hit with us. And you're one of those guys. I don't want to waste my time here. I want to invest my time on something that I believe can not only serve our community, but also others. And I think that with this new influx of people, especially in the new year, I think it's important that they track their time and their rooms carefully. And Johnny, you always have the best rooms when it comes to this. So thank you. Oh, you're so kind. Really appreciate you. And it's so it's such wise words. It really is. Time is our most precious commodity, as they say. Who else wants to share? Um, just flash your mic, Adele. Well, I'm just laughing here because I feel like I'm being lured into the dark side of social media. As um, I guess some some folks out there say, oh, you're good, according to our algorithm, at holding attention. Um, you're gonna, we're going to pay you a lot of money to create content for us. So if I put on my uh, money-making head, wow, I can charge $5,000 a month to create short-term, short-form video content that's algorithmically proven to whatever. Um, you know, I, I guess they're watching uh, watch time. So is is this the new market opportunity for me? You know, and there are all these coaches telling me this is the new way to make money uh, online. Is your algorithm is your friend, and if you can create content that can rise to the top, you're a hot commodity, and and companies and brands will hire you. And I'm like, yeah, but what am I doing here? It's interesting because I've got my dark side of the social media hat on, going. Ooh, because dark also means opportunity for some people. I'm not interested right now in creating short-term, short-form content for Oil of Olay for $5,000 a month, but I could if I wanted to. It's just fascinating. These algorithms know everything. Anyway, I'm landing my plane. Thanks. Uh, I love those points, Adele. You've, you've dropped enough golden nuggets uh, in this room, so it's, it's, it's great to know you. Um, anyone wants to chime in on what they've just heard with uh, uh, Adele? Uh, Wendy, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, just real quick. Um, I just want to say that, you know, uh, in, di- in direct-to-consumer, you know, we've always used data, uh, f- and and it's it's how we're using it now, right? It's just that, you know, it's so much more accessible. And as a consumer, we're giving that data away, right? We are the product. We're, we're just giving it away. We're clicking on ads. We're doing whatever. But um, just to Storm's point, it's, you know, it, it's, it's really <laughs> interesting because data, yes, it's being used incorrectly. And it always, and there are rules and regulations and privacy rules and all sorts of things that people are supposed to follow. But the problem is, is that there is no um, consequences for people who aren't following them. And so it's just, you know, it goes like wildfire. Uh, so anyway, but just know that, you know, there are, you, that's why you have to find the, the, the trust factor, no like and trust factor is so much more important today than ever on online anything. Thank you. No, thank you, Wendy. Appreciate you. Uh, anyone else wants to chime in? We've been going for over three hours, 10 minutes. Uh, feel free. I saw Rahul come up. Uh, welcome, buddy. And Dipsa, if you if you want to speak, I know you haven't spoken as well. The, Rahul, go ahead. Hi, Johnny. Thank you for having me on stage. Uh, I have a question or probably a, a push for thought kind of a thing. So, you know, we know how these algorithms play a, a, a role in our lives. You know, there, you know, there are things like post at a certain time so or you know uh, post certain content and, and make your content in a, in a certain way that prices drop and so we are we are ruled or ruled by that 
know, algorithm in terms of uh, how we behave and what we do in our lives. Now, that's that's one thing. That's that's one way of putting it. You know, that uh, the algorithm is actually ruling our lives. But the other other way I, I want to look at this is: is this any different than our work lives, where we have to do certain things because we have to go for work, reach reach our workplace at a certain time, and and go to our work day? Uh, maybe some of us. Uh, like our works, some of us don't like our work, but the, the liberty, you know, the bottom line here is that the liberty in either case is taken away you know, of, of what you you could you would you would otherwise do in that time uh, for your own self. And so that's all I wanted to share over here, uh, really quick, to how different is an, a, a social media algorithm ruling our lives versus our regular work lives. That's my full thought. Thank you. Yeah, it's a good question. And I actually had this question as well from Dan, who said, um, uh, he said, basically, he looked at, he was asking about global brands and platforms. Uh, and he was saying about social media and addiction. And he said, how does that compare then to what's gone on in the past or with other brands like Starbucks, Ferrari, Microsoft, Amazon, Tesla, they all want to get us hooked. So isn't that notion uh, legitimate? Uh, I think the only difference is with tech it's the, and the power of IT, you know, technology doubles every two years under Moore's law and it's, it gets exponentially more and more uh, uh, intelligent. It gets, uh, it get, it, you know, like I said at the beginning of the room, uh, since the 1980s, we've had a trillion uh, million more worth of processing power than we did back in the 1980s, you know, a trillion more, you know, power that's incredible that stat so i think with machine learning and ai and the life that it takes of its own harvested through data maybe the point is that it's a process or a animal that you just cannot control is uncontrollable it takes a life of its own uh and without regulation impacted or involved in it and without a change in the business model where a lot of people argue the problem and the dark side of the social media is because of the advertising element of the business model and this is where maybe clubhouse could be the absolute game changer because they've refused to do advertising and how they monetize later on we don't know but advertising is not part of that model it might be the the pioneer in that uh, it's just my own personal opinion. So anyone else want to answer? Just go ahead. Well, Johnny, there was something that you said that I believe ties on to Wendy's point. Where is the accountability? You know, how many social media CEOs and presidents, you know, went to Congress for hearing like Jack Dorsey and Mark Zuckerberg, and we see that. And they have free reign essentially and are protected to not be able to have any accountability or any consequence if they feel like how they run their issue and, you know, and they violate certain things, it's like, oh my gosh, they can get away with it now because of the way that the laws are constructed in the United States with those companies. So because they're worldwide corporations, because they have so much influence and so much reach, it can be, if you give someone too much power, it doesn't matter what their intent was in the beginning. It could be pure. It could be innocent. We all know that power has the ability to corrupt which AI, if is used incorrectly or improperly, oh boy, could that be the rabbit hole. So the algorithms are set up to the point to where they're going to benefit the company and continue to grow the company, the research, the market, the advertising, 
and other companies to draw them in and lure them in for monetization, for financial gain. And one of the things I can say about Clubhouse is I love the fact that maybe it's not monetizable yet in the fact that other companies are going to come on and mass advertise. Maybe that's that last step before that purity becomes, uh uh-oh, let's step into that other side and draw the line. We're going to cross the line and see what happens. But you can see that exponentially the companies that have grown, Snapchat, Twitter, TikTok, all of these social medias have been constructed upon wanting to grow exponentially and find out what their true realization is. I have no idea what the future holds, but it's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, that's that's just terrific um, points that you made there, Storm. Anyone want to chime in what Storm just said? Just flash your mic. Uh, Rahul, do you want to respond back? Go ahead. Matt, on, uh, on that point, you just made, uh, it, it also depends on the volumes and the user base. Like, all of these apps and, and social media in, in general, it is built based on a user base, right? And so just basically a question that bounces back saying, okay, well, if you don't want to do want to chime in and, and, and sort of jump on, on the social media bandwagon, then you know, stay behind and, and, and don't join it. But the, the, the counter argument over there is the world is moving in that direction. And so it's, it's basically, if you're not on par or on, on board with it, then you basically fall behind. And so I, I, I agree with you that, that, that argument over there. Uh, at the same time, Johnny, I think you mentioned something about addiction, but it was on, on a different level. It was on... Uh, uh, on par with, with how companies look at it. It's also the addiction at a, at a personal level as to how we look at it in terms of how we are driven uh, towards these these uh, uh, applications and, and platforms. So, so it just ties in together in terms of uh, how we as, as people in, in our personal lives look at this to do either not miss out on what the world is doing or you know we, we find our, our pleasure in, in actually uh, Going, going forward and, and, and join these, these, these movements and uh, this platform. Thank you. Yeah, I, I love uh, it kind of back and forth there. Um, so for people new into the room, welcome David as well on stage. Welcome uh, Marcella. We're talking about the dark side of social media and how algorithms are ruling our lives. And we're going through many, many aspects of it. Um, I also want to say a shout out to a particular person in the audience, uh, Andrew, Andrew McCaskill, uh, he is a uh, really good person to know on LinkedIn, by the way. So I just want to shout out you in the audience and give you your flowers. Uh, we haven't spoken before, but I've uh, been following your work. So you're more than welcome to come up on stage. Uh, but if you want to just kick some tires and sit back in the audience and just listen, yeah, that's absolutely fine. Um, so who wants to chime in next with their perspective uh, on this? And do we use social security as a security blanket? What's your thoughts, everyone? Don't speak all at once. <laughs> Dr. Roshan, go ahead. <laughs> um, yeah, that's the thing that I was saying earlier. People are using social media as a security blanket, but it's not a very good one because it's unpredictable and it isn't very secure and you don't own anything. There's no reason to trust it. It's been shown to be quite variable, fickle, unreliable, the list goes on, and the culture is somewhat narcissistic, you know, on a good day. It's also great and, you know, has been extremely helpful to people. I know one of my favorite stories is a story that uh, a gentleman on this app talks about. He had just left India after visiting his parents for a 
like a month or something. And then COVID started and his mom was in the hospital and he couldn't get any information. So he sent out a message on Facebook. And sure enough, somebody was from his small little village, went over, checked on his mom, connected with him, the whole nine. That could not happen without social media and without its pervasiveness. And somebody else backchanneled me about, you know, a medical issue that they're having and how they were able to um, find out about and um, access new medication uh, from, again, a Facebook support group. And so, I mean, there's lots of stories like this about how social media can be very uplifting and supportive and so on and so forth. But, you know, just like we can modulate in real life um, and and I've done some trust rooms, and I think Johnny, you've you've been a panelist on at least one or two of them with me, and the importance of trust, you know, just even in the workplace, but at all. And the brain is constantly calculating the different dimensions of trust, and in the real world, um, it can make those appropriate adjustments, and has a much larger landscape. Um, whereas on the digital platform, the rules are very different. And as they're always changing, much harder to compute that until and unless you say, well, I understand this for what it is. It doesn't function like the real world. Let me not treat it like that and try to shove this circle in a square, as it were. And so um, we each of us have a different set point for um, how easily we trust or not. And then, of course, within that, it's quite dynamic. It's always changing. We know that based on certain behaviors. But when those behaviors are not for a particular individual or even an organization, like your work group or whatever, then it becomes a lot more complicated. And you're really stressing your system and wasting your resources trying to adjust back and forth. Whereas I think it would be so much easier to say, okay, look, I know this is what it is. And I need to keep that front of mind as I interact with this. In this case, then, you know, maybe you go for the funnies or whatever it is that could be more of a social, I'm sorry, a security blanket than, um, you know, trying to put up great pictures of yourself when you're feeling bad, you know, because you're looking for that validation. When does somebody put up a selfie? Is it when they're feeling great? Nope. It's when they want validation and confirmation. So they're already coming from a vulnerable place and going into a space that isn't necessarily safe. So as security blankets go, mm, we can find better ones. Yeah, is 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 a good uh, good point that you said, and I think a lot of this as well is playing to the galleries, and it goes back to the point that I said. You know, luckily enough, I was pre uh, social media, uh, and you know, you you just lived in that moment, and there's always been things like insecurity and validation and recognition, and people, you know, uh, having their ego caressed, and all of these kind of things, and I think what these social media companies do and they do many great things but the dark side of it is they understand the human condition very very well in terms of its addictive qualities you know that sense of punishment and reward thing that we talked about before um and because the algorithms are designed to detect our interests our pre uh, pre preferences and information all about our social circle what we like what we don't like because we're giving off information all the time all the time and that feedback is going back into the algorithm. The dangerous part is, for example, if you follow certain people and it becomes somewhat of an echo chamber. So, for example, if you're an anti-vaxxer or wherever it might be, and you're just only following that tribe, do you only gain one sense of 
kind of information that's validating your point of view, validating your point of view, because you're living in an echo chamber, it's actually good to uh, follow people that you disagree with. Then you're going to have a range of opinions, and it enlightens your brain and opens your mind to different perspectives. But the dangers of social media and the dark side of social media is that we can live in these echo chambers, and it's then very difficult to understand what is actual truth or, or BS. And it can go to dangerous lines, to extremes with that. Who wants to chime in on those? Yeah, go ahead. So um, it sounds good, but I don't know that that would necessarily work. Why? As I said earlier, for example, Instagram, when you put up a post or something, only 10% of your followers are going to get it. So you might be following someone who's different than you. What are the chances you're actually going to get their feed? You're on Twitter. You're going to tweet. The vast majority of your followers won't even get it. They will have to come. I follow Clubhouse on Twitter. I have to go to the Clubhouse site. I'm sorry, not the site, but the the account and look to see what's going on with Clubhouse because it never comes across my feed. Absolutely ridiculous. So, and and the algorithms are going to send you what the majority of what you're looking at is. And that's actually also going to happen on Google. If you have four different devices and you use them differently and you Google the same thing, you're going to have four different sets of answers. So, you have to work hard these days to overcome the algorithm. You can go to page like six of your Google responses or something or actively go and look for the other information, but it's an active behavior. It's not passive. Hmm, I'm just digesting what you said. Who wants to chime in? Uh, with a, uh, I see that Dylan's on the stage as well. Marcella Storm, go ahead. Storm and then Marcella. I hate to speak so much, so this will be brief. But, you know, when you talk about an echo chamber, I almost think that maybe a lot of the social media companies who maybe do have not necessarily government ties, but maybe official ties to wanting to create division. If I keep hearing and seeing the same people that agree with me and the same things as far as my opinions and views, and I hear the opposite or see the opposite, I'm like, wait a second. That's not what the masses think. That's like a small percentage. So I have to wonder how much control and manipulation we have as far as those echo chambers that we continue to see and, you know, people that we continue to have a lot of commonalities with. I wonder if that's by design. I don't think anything's an accident when it comes to how intelligent, you know, definitely social media can become, but also the creators and what their intent was. I believe that that might have some truth to it. And you're exactly right. When it comes to Googling four things, you have four different sets of information and data points and then four different interpretations. Uh, You know, I wonder, you know, what the real truth is sometimes. And it can be paradoxical and it can be confusing because we want to have, I respect people who can live off the grid and not have, you know, give people access to the different things and uniquenesses of that person. Uh, You know, I've looked at it and I thought they were crazy at first, but I wonder, you know what, they are kind of living their truth because they're not getting all that external input and that confusion along the way because the human brain can only decipher so much information. And if you're getting it, you know, just bombarded to you by so many different ways and things and senses, it makes me wonder how we lose our truth sometimes when we really should have stuck to it in the first place. Yeah, that's brilliant, uh, uh, Storm. Marcella, what, what do you think? Marcella? <laughs> yes, I'm here. Hi, everybody. Jenny, uh, I don't even know where to start. There have, there have been so many incredible shares. Um, it's, it's just... <laughs> um, 
Yeah, you know, I am on social media, of course, super active on TikTok. And I'll be honest with you, uh, just a few years ago when I studied marketing at U.S. University, I when I finished, I was saying to myself, there's no way I will ever work for company to try to sell their products, try to manipulate people, do marketing, do all that crap. And of course, you know, I always landed a job that I was had to or was pushed or had to sell something that was <laughs> not really useful, overpriced, um, had nothing to do with helping people. And uh, so I kind of like had this feeling that I will never do that because even though it was my degree, uh, I realized that there's so much manipulation, so much with these social media things going on and the algorithm and how it's you know, like, you know, moving people in one direction. Uh, and here I am a few years later, loving TikTok, doing videos on it, helping other people, basically change my passion into profession. But what happened is in those years when I would work for someone and then I basically step out from the corporate world, uh, maybe six years ago, I had my own business and I realized that always 80% of my um, growth in my business was always dedicated to marketing. I always have to be on social media to show myself, to get the trust, to build my reputation, to communicate with my uh, future clients. So I really had to use the social media. So there was just like no way that I will get <laughs> rid of it. So I had to learn about the algorithm and all that. And uh, yeah, well, there's so many stories that I, of course, hear that have helped so many people. And there is this dark side of social media. It's always, it's been there and it's going to be even worse but I have to say, if you are in business as a business owner and you need to grow, you need to make your living, you still will have to be on social media. But the intention has to be positive. And people will tell. If you have a good intention, they will differentiate and they will say, okay, this is person that is not just trying to sell something but has some deeper message Uh that's why I love TikTok because TikTok has been created not just for the perfect post and perfection. Like, you know, Instagram has been always perceived and you got so many screwed up people on TikTok and yet they are like doing really well. And of course, if they are, if their intention is not good, people will not follow them or they just follow them for fun or, you know, but it has no meaning. And I just recommend to everybody because you guys are very intellectual people and you you deeply care about, you know, uh, people and how the algorithms work. There has actually been published new movie that's called The Insane Truth About TikTok. And it's incredible to see how they build the algorithm and how it's the company, how they made it that they became basically number one in the world how they hook the people, how the people are addicted now. And we hear it on Clubhouse here too, all these stories. And uh, so just, just you know, check it out because it's incredible what they did to basically move the company forward and why people love it so much. And I'll be honest with you, I have been with my partner who spent literally 27 years of his life sitting in front of a TV and 
those years spent just watching TV did not help much him, did not help to any our family. So I myself, I am a little bit more for being the creator and helping others through social media than just watching TV and consuming. Because consuming, it's not doing anything to you and it's not doing anything for the world. Uh, I don't. I hope you understand me. I, my English is my second language. So I don't, I'm not sure if I express myself well. But by being a creator on TikTok, I see uh, the, the dark side too, of course, and the positive side. But from my perspective, I feel like if you really use it with good intention, it seems that it's more helping people than hurting people. Uh, so that's that's my end. I will. I'm never done talking, but I'm done speaking for right now. Thank you for having me share. No, thank you, Marcella, and thank you for your perspective. And I love it that it's from all different parts of the world. And I see Dylan chomping at the bit to get in. Go ahead, my friend. Yeah, I, uh, I'm on my way to Joshua Tree, so I'm going to lose signal in the next like 20 minutes here, and definitely want to uh, contribute a little something because <clears throat> for me, I, I really think there's there's two sides to social media. You're either a user or you're a creator, bottom line. And if you're a user, then there is a dark side to the algorithm because you're literally being used by the algorithm and you're just, um, you're a consumer. You're not contributing. So you're not learning about the algorithm. You're not trying to beat the algorithm. And you're you're ultimately, you know, you're, you're one of the sheep, in my opinion. And then there's people that learn about the algorithm. For me, there isn't a dark side to social media. Yeah, you can talk about haters and cancel culture and all that, but that's not a dark side at the end of the day. That's just part of culture. That's part of social media. So for me, once you decide, hey, you know what, I'm not going to be used by social media, I'm going to use social media. For me, I understand how TikTok's algorithm works. I've literally been going viral every single week since, you know, like the past couple weeks now, just because I'm like, all right, you know what, fuck it. Let me just, I'm going to grow to a million followers on TikTok in the next couple months, and I'm just done fucking around. So I've been posting videos that I know are going to go viral. I literally have had over 10 million views in the last week. I just woke up this morning and I see notifications. I've got 13,000 new followers and thousands of new comments. And, oh, what do you know? Another video that I intentionally posted just hit a couple million views. So I don't get used by social media. I use social media. And the algorithm is never a problem because it's working in my favor because I understand how it works. So... I think everybody needs to look in the mirror and say, how many hours a day are you scrolling on the feed like a lottery, you know, trying to get your dopamine, you know, fix? Or, you know, why are you using social media more as a voyeur versus the person who's putting out content so people can see you? Like social media is, is the most simple thing in the world. It is a utility that you get to use to show people who you are so they can feel comfortable to trust you enough to do business with you. It's that simple. No matter what your business is, even if it's just I want to network and connect, show people who you are. That's all you have to do. It's it's a really simple concept. But if you're not showing people who you are, then you're looking at who other people are. And then it can fuck with your psychology. You know, you can start to have all these insecurities. You can start to feel certain ways. But at the end of the day, 
you know, I'm, I'm playing the game. I'm not being played by the game. So when I decide to post, there's a reason that I'm posting, you know, what I'm doing. And, you know, I, I feel like everything's working in my favor. Um, and I, I think that's how it should feel if you're using social media the right way versus being used by social media the way that they want to use you. Uh, you know, and I think there's a huge opportunity for people that can break out of that matrix, take your red pill and fucking see the other side. But, you know, some of us, you know, get stuck because we just, we just, you know, oh, someone has more followers than me or they get more comments or I'll never grow that fast or I don't know how to do this. We'll learn because it, it's really simple and there's kids out there that are crushing it. So there's no excuse why smart adults can't also crush it. It's a simple algorithm. There, there's nothing secret about it. Don't let it consume you. You know, and if you need to take a break, take a break. I took six months off of uh, TikTok to get onto Clubhouse. Then I decided, you know what? Let me get back onto TikTok. I'm going to be, uh, you know, in Joshua Tree for the next two days. There's no cell reception. I'm not going to be going through withdrawals because I can't post content or because I don't know how many people are liking my shit. I know every day somebody's following me, somebody's liking my videos, somebody's viewing my stuff because I've, you know, mastered the algorithm. So I challenge all of you to decide, are you going to be a user or are you going to be, you know, used by the, the, the platforms that you're, you're criticizing or the platforms that you feel frustrated by, but every single one of you is smarter than AI. Every one of you is smarter than the algorithm. All of you can understand how these things work. If you take the time to learn it and not be overwhelmed by it, that's all I got. I'm done. You make some good points when it comes to, you know, being a creator or a consumer. Um, and, you know, kudos to you and all the good work that you've done on uh, TikTok, uh, uh, Dylan. How would you react, though, if suddenly all of this scholarship or users uh, that are coming your way and virality suddenly change because the algorithm completely goes against you? Will that affect your mojo would that affect your mental health and well-being uh because what they do and what they're good at social media is to make us all addicted right it's like a dopium hit you know you're doing well it's gone viral it's great you got a big room wherever it is great so it's that punishment and rewards been all the time would that affect you if suddenly it's like what the hell is going on here it's an opportunity. millions of viewers go ahead all an opportunity man at the end of the day there are, <clears throat> for instance, let's say tomorrow what I'm doing on TikTok stops working uh, and my videos no longer go viral doing what I'm doing. Okay, great. The way that it works is there's people out there that are going to be discouraged, that are going to go, you know what, I'm not going to post this week because the algorithm's not working in my favor. And then there's also people that say, you think I give a fuck? I'm going to keep posting. I'm going to keep adapting and evolving. And I'm going to figure it out. And then those are the people that work through it and figure out the little changes to the algorithm so they can continue to do what they do. But I've been on social media for literally over a decade now, and I've seen the algorithms on every platform shift and change. And it's never been discouraging. It's been encouraging because it's an opportunity to rise above some of the people that I know get discouraged. So 
you know, it kind of goes back to that Mark Cuban quote that I always reference, which is at any given moment, there's somebody out there trying to do exactly what you're trying to do, except for they're working harder than you to make sure that you are irrelevant. Isn't that great? And I'm that guy. So anytime things get tough, I'm going to put in a little bit extra work. I'm going to learn a little bit more. I'm going to look at the algorithm and go, well, wait a minute. You've got the people complaining that they're not getting views, but why are these 20 people still going viral? What are they doing that's working versus what are the other people doing that isn't working anymore? Let me learn from this challenge, this opportunity to grow. I I hate when things get comfortable. Uh, Comfortability leads to complacency, leads to mediocrity, leads to just, you're not doing anything. You become boring. I want to evolve. So I, I like the challenge. I hope these algorithms evolve and change because to be honest, I know that every time it changes, my competition is either getting further and further away from me or I'm seeing who my direct competition is because they're pushing through this challenge. But for me, it's, it's all opportunity if you have the right mindset. Thanks. Yeah. And I, I agree. You got to get used to, you got to get comfortable with getting uncomfortable, you know, and that's why clubhouse has been great for me because it was totally outside of my comfort zone. But unless you get outside of your comfort zone and challenge yourself you never know in life what you're fully capable of. And it might surprise you because there are things that I've learned about myself that I didn't think I necessarily had when I first started this. Um, because you get comfortable in your zone. We all have a zone or lane and expertise as such. And we all have a sphere of influence. But honestly, that where you really are able to stretch yourself and make a bigger impact is when you get outside of that comfort zone because there's a difference between being stressed and being stretched. And those people who do really well, social media or otherwise, are constantly stretching themselves. They're maximizing every bit of them themselves. And after all, you know, doesn't the algorithm know who the hell I am? You know, and, uh, algorithms are algorithms. You know, it's it's a funny one. It really is, to be honest with you. Um, okay, that was a joke, by the way. Um, so um, I've got Shashank on stage and Rob. Welcome, Rob. We're talking about uh, the dark side of social media, algorithms, how they rule our lives. We've been, I've been going now. Uh, how long have I been going now? I've been going. How long? Three hours and forty minutes. Yeah, three hours and forty minutes. Uh, so a bit of a marathon on that. Um, so I uh, want to get everyone involved, and uh, I know my great friend Shashank as well will have some good inputs. Being a tech entrepreneur, what's your what's your take on? the dark side of social media and algorithms ruining our lives. Uh, is it ruling your life, my friend? You don't know the power of the dark side. It was mentioned decades ago. <laughs> we ignored it. We kept on ignoring it. The power of the dark side can be very detrimental. There have been enough data which has been published now of this constant addiction to screen and wanting to look at somebody else's life comparing what it has done to young people and now it's seeping into pretty much all age groups but there is as dylan as you mentioned and many people earlier would have mentioned as well i was in and out of this room because of the obviously the real life is getting busier 
Um, it is up to us. We know now there is enough data. Like 10 years ago, there was not enough data. And funny enough, today you're hosting this room, Johnny. Today is exactly 13, it was 2007. Today was the day that the iPhone was launched. So it has been 14 years that we've, we've had this data on our fingertip, the internet on our fingertips, pretty much in the last 14 years, and it's changed the world, unlike <clears throat> millennia. And, sorry, how we use social media is up to us. There is a lot of commerce happening with social media. There is a lot of connections happening with social media. Ability to do a lot of work while on the beach is happening while you're commuting. Previously, people used to read newspapers on the trains now, but now there's ability to send emails and do some better work. Uh, productivity is increasing. But yes, this whole Instagram culture, the TikTok culture, the follower culture, it is creating deep-rooted dissatisfaction among ourselves, about comparing ourselves to other persons' life, not realizing that what we see in other people's life is practically 2% of what they are. Everybody's got amazingly good things about them and absolutely thinks that they don't want to share at all or thinks that they don't want to even recognize what's happening with them. They're not so good things. Everybody's got equal share in that context. We look at that 2% tip and we start comparing, how can I have that better life? How can I have that better restaurant? How can I get to the better holiday? And that is when it gets to decline. And we all know that all that what you see, the glitter, is not going to be happening to you. But this hope that you know you might do it, that is just not happening. Uh, not every entrepreneur is going to become a unicorn. Uh, heck, 98% of entrepreneurs will actually fail. But they don't compare themselves with the 98% that will fail. They compare with that 2%, the Steve Jobs, the Bill Gates. And they think they're going to do that next time. Or they're going to become the Elon Musk and they will get to Mars. And it's not going to happen. We are not going to Mars. I can guarantee you, in our lifetime, we are not going to Mars. But people think, oh, my God, this guy's going to take them to Mars. It's not going to happen. And that is the dark side. If people have this reality, they have a bit of fun. They think, realize it's not reality. Have a two, three hours of their fun and then go back to their life and keep on progressing on their life. And I think Roshanak is perfectly positioned to say this because of her neuroscience, if I'm making sense. But that's what I think. Otherwise, I'll go back to this. Star Wars has told us enough decades ago, you don't know the power of the dark side. Always gold, Shashank, always gold. And you make some really powerful points. Um, nobody knows what goes on behind closed doors. That's a fact. Right. You know, most people are putting their best version of themselves. That happens in an interview scenario. You don't go in and just, you know, your worst version. You're giving your best version of yourself. And it's happening across the whole of these platforms as well. You know, it's it's a way where, you know, we I think we glamorize and think so often the grass is greener. And we see all these lives that people lead. Oh, look at that. It's going on this amazing boat, amazing holiday, amazing life. It looks amazing, blah, blah, blah. And this constant compare and contrast bin, it's actually an evil of our age because it's actually causing so many people who are more susceptible to it some real issues, especially the younger age groups. And I do worry for, like, I have kids. And I just wanted to ask you, uh, Shashank, do you limit your uh, your kids or are they not old enough when it comes i don't think they're old enough but would you limit their time 
when it comes to social media or electronic devices, for example? Uh, my kids are young. Uh, I have limited number of hours they can have access to the iPads and the phones, etc. Both of them have phones, by the way, not with the number, but Wi-Fi only, so they can only use it while they're at home. And home has complete cyber uh, protection, so they can't have access to things that I don't want them to have access to. Uh, I have more generous limits compared to a lot of other households, my friends' households, or even my family's households. I have more generous because I know that's the future, so I want them to be well-versed with it. Uh, when they get to the age 16 or more, I want them to access all types of media that's available proactively rather than having to do it under peer pressure from their friends. I would rather I inform them before their friends inform them, and I will tell them both sides. I will tell them what I'm saying here, that it's only 2% of life, 98% is not there. I will give them examples of our real life so they make better informed decisions. One other thing I'm going to say, I'm actually, today is my Instagram story. If you look at it, I mean, Robert had just literally just seen it. One reality star, she made $200,000 in last one year by selling her fart in mason jars. Right? <laughs> it is true. And now she is selling NFT of her fart. Now imagine that. 8 billion people on planet Earth, they will think, my God, I can do this. But no, they can't do it. She was she was in the pole position to do it. She capitalized that right. Now, if everybody starts selling their parts, it's not going to sell. But there you go. It's, 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 you know, there is like absolutely bizarre, stupid, crazy things. There is enough people who will buy them once. But then if you want to repeat it, it's never going to scale. So that's the context I wanted to say. Sorry. Pet rock. That's, that's certainly a thought, Shashank. Sorry, who's that? That was me. It was. The, it reminds me of the pet rock. Oh, Wendy, go ahead. The, the, the pet rock was a was a thing that you know it sold once, and but everybody always uses it as a similar example, you know. So anyway. No, thanks for that, Wendy. Um, so this is the recruitment and careers club. Um, it's the um, I think the green mansion above my house there is but maybe it's not um but uh, please do join the club uh, it's the largest recruitment careers club on this platform uh looking to build a real community like i said on information education and impact it's one thing listening to these bins but it's important to actually follow through and take action uh it's the law of actions folks not the law of attraction um i've also attached a link above my head of the recruitment and careers club podcast it's raw it's authentic we're in the age of authenticity and all um so there's lots of uh episodes going on to that there's a new episode going to be happening this week a very inspirational lady that i interviewed who's been on multiple uh, tv networks it's got a real amazing life story that'll be coming up on the recruitment careers club podcast so if you could give me some social currency review and rate the the podcast i'd be ever so grateful That'd be great because it helps with, guess what? The algorithm, you know, as we're in the room of algorithms. Algorithm. Absolutely. And if you can press the, the bell on myself, not for vanity reasons or narcissistic reasons, just begin again because of the algorithm uh, with Clubhouse. Uh, uh, you know, it's 
a, a favorite platform of mine uh, and that most of us are on the stage, but at times it gets lost in the hallway. And when I go live, I can go live sporadically uh, and it gives access uh, to these type of rooms. If you're enjoying the conversation, then you can have that content available. And obviously all the great people on stage, please do check out their profiles. I can't emphasize it enough. So I'm conscious that we've got Rob. Rob is, does great rooms, Rob. Fajaro, Fajardo, uh, excuse the pronunciation, mate. Uh, we've been on this stage, on many stages together. I want to hear your point of view, buddy, when he talks, of, when we're talking about the dark side of social media and how algorithms rule our lives. Does it rule your life? Well, I pre appreciate you, Johnny. And uh, yeah, always excited to hop on stage. A lot of familiar faces here. As I was listening, you know, something, I'm sure, I'm sure you guys spoke about this already, but if you know, so if I'm being repetitive, forgive me. One of the things on the dark side, I, I, I think, is um, whether it's like awareness or the idea of conscious and unconscious. And, you know, when we're talking about, you know, kids or young adults, like I could definitely see how because there's more, let's say, unconscious influence, you know, I could see how that could um, be used more as on, a, on a dark side because maybe kids might not know what's happening to them. As I've been listening, though, what I kind of want to ask the room for other adults is, you know, how, for me, I, my answer is no. Um, but I feel like that's because I take the effort to research or learn about algorithms and just ask myself, how can I, you know, use those algorithms to, to my benefit and maybe not putting like an ethereal, uh, like boogeyman on, onto the machine learning. And, and I recognize that there's like, you know, humans behind them. And then, you know, there's recommendation algorithms, matching algorithms and, um, that my behaviors influence the algorithms of, uh, or at least what I'm shown. And, and as I was thinking, I, I was curious now as we, you know, a lot of us have become saturated by social media. I was like, you know, how many people actually don't know that the algorithms, you know, run their lives. And once you do have that awareness, does, you know, that puts you more in the driver's seat and, you know, does the dark side come um, when you're, you know, operating unconsciously? So many good questions there. Who wants to pick that up, Dr. Roshanak? Yeah, what do I? Which part do I answer? <laughs> I, I guess on, on the unconscious part, Dr. Roshanak, I would say like, is it, it? I guess to put it in a in a word is, is it possible to have a dark side of social media that could rule your life and be conscious about it, or does the dark side only manifest itself if you're you know totally unconscious by it? Oh, no, one can be conscious of something and still suffer from it. Absolutely. You can know, for example, that you're addicted to, let's say, gambling and still be unfortunately addicted to gambling. So, yeah. Does that help? Yeah, so by the same token, you can know that you're having, uh, you know, negative affect on your life, on your emotional and mental state, and yet still keep going. But that, that is the entire nature of addiction. Knowledge doesn't change behavior. I agree with that. So then to follow up on that point, would that be then um, people who recognize that they're addicted to social media and recognize that the algorithms keep showing them content that makes them addicted or shows them content that's triggering, et cetera, et cetera. And have they lost the you know personal sovereignty or, or autonomy to start making, you know, different choices in, and at what point, I guess, do you reclaim that personal sovereignty if you do, quote unquote, become addicted? And I guess I'm coming from the perspective of, you know, I'm seeing algorithms as a, as a tool, 
not as something that runs my life, but something that I could, you know, run side by side with. So what the algorithm does insofar as getting us addicted is it does exactly that. It gives us a, a reward. So we get this rush of dopamine and, you know, we like it because it feels good. So we want more. We go back as that's because if you think about how we've evolved and why we have a reward system, it's to keep us doing things that will keep us surviving and then thriving. Unfortunately, and like anything, it can be also used against us. And so when we're getting these hits from uh, a system that is engineered to keep us engaged and to create addictive behavior, then of course you are going to have that. And what addictive behavior means is that your brain has now rewired itself to get that positive reward, to get that positive reinforcement. So you're looking for the likes, you're looking for the comments, you're looking for the you know, reposts and retweets and whatever else. And so you want that positive reaction, that positive response over and over again, that is your positive reinforcement. That is the addiction that you're looking for that. And it's changed you both physically and psychologically, which is something that I had mentioned before. It is a behavioral addiction, social media addiction. And so, but of course, like any addiction, there's a physical rewiring. And so uh, the way to, to um, ameliorate this, if not uh, resolve it completely, is to do exactly what you would do with any addiction. You have to detox. And so consciously going into a detox is important. Of course, like any addiction, you can relapse. That's part of this. Um, I also had mentioned that earlier, that the, that the specific... Um, aspects of addiction are all, you know, just any kind of addiction like uh, gambling or drug use or whatever, um, is also seen in social media addiction. So each of those pieces that we have, those components that are present in, you know, substance uh, abuse, you also see in addictive social media behavior. Relapse is one of them. So you have to be careful that you don't get, you know, pulled and triggered back like any habit, um, which is also a colloquial way of mentioning uh, addictive behavior, you have an environmental cue and those can be very powerful. In fact, they're the most powerful way that people end up falling back off the wagon as it were. So putting yourself in an environment to not relapse is very important. And we as humans, absolutely, and this is evidence-based, you all know that when I talk, it's all evidence-based, um, it's been shown that we believe our willpower and our ability to um, withstand temptation is greatly over-exaggerated. We think that we have more willpower than we do. We think we can resist temptation more than we can. And so the best thing to do is to avoid the triggers, meaning the environmental cues, in the first place. Dr. Roshan complete. And just digesting what you said with Dr. Roshanai. Um, did that answer your questions, Rob? Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, as I'm as I'm listening though too, it's it's the point, you know, the major the major point is have have the algorithms, you know, taken over you or again are you using the algorithms as, as a tool because colloquially put it's like algorithms algorithming <laughs> to me is just like also a function of social media and of, of course it creates dopamine loops because could you imagine a, a social media that, that didn't, you know, or 
could you imagine if Amazon didn't create, you know, other, you know, recommended feature or, you know, other people like this type of stuff, you know, it's, it's like a, a byproduct of, I think our own inherent want for utility. And of course it might have some negative implications at scale of, and it does. Um, but I feel like it's due to that, that lack of awareness, um, in individuals, that that has that and that's what dr russian had talked about is on addiction and then having to detox um as i'm sitting here and i'm excited to listen more is at, at what point does that inflection happen or, or when when do you cross that line right is that um when you start to see like detrimental you know things happening in your life like you show up to work later you're not getting work done or you're, you're going on social media and then your mood is bad like what are what are the signs that you've you know crossed that line yeah, that's exactly it, Rob. You're 100% correct. Um, it depends at what age you're starting to use it. I mean, very young children, they're not going in there for relief or distraction, but it's going to be overuse. And before they know it, they're going to be addicted, much like it happens for irresponsible parents who get their kids addicted um, at a very young age. You know, and there are people who are at risk. They already have mental health challenges. And then last but not least is how you're using it. Are you going in there to uh, relieve yourself of some challenge you don't want to face, to uh, distract yourself, so on and so forth, as I mentioned earlier? And then then you get into that addictive place. But the, um, the definition of it is, of course, exactly what you said, that you devote so much of your time and your attention and your effort to being on social media, to interacting with social media, um, so on and so forth, that it does impinge on and become detrimental to other aspects of your life, personal relationships, uh, work uh, product, so on and so forth. And then you see that it is a negative outcome. And that is where you go, okay, this is an addiction. I am uncontrolled. I can't control it. It is uncontrollable at this point. My urge, like, uh, like you would seek for your next hit, right? That's that urge and impulse in the brain is, is actually similar to where habit is in the brain. So you have these sort of non-cortical behaviors that push you through, and then you have other areas in the brain that overcome impulse. Uh, but as I said, there's some rewiring that occurs. So if you're not as good at impulse control, or if you've, depending upon how far you've rewired, um, and you do have these detrimental effects, then you are in fact addicted, and you do in fact need intervention. Yeah, there are many masterclass there, Dr. Roshanak. And it goes back to my earlier point when there's only two industries that call their consumers users. Uh, one is the illegal drug industry and two is social media. So just food for thought there, Rob. Um, okay, so I've put a link above my head. I'm new to Twitter. So um, if you um, I'm thinking of doing rooms on there, I've only joined two weeks ago. My main platform is LinkedIn. Um in terms of my community, being a headhunter and uh, of 24 years and a careers coach, having placed over 3,000 people to date. So I'd uh, be grateful if you want to follow me on Twitter in terms of content. I do take my rooms very seriously and put in a lot of effort in terms of research and curating as best a room as possible. Um, and also, please do follow these great panelists like Dr. Roshanak, Robert, um, uh, wonderful moderators, Barry, Barbara, Christopher, the wonderful Kimberly, Wendy, LinkedIn, Seb, really good to hear you on this stage, Dipsa, uh, KB, it's nice to meet you. 
uh, on the recruitment and careers club Rahul Marcella who's doing obviously good stuff in TikTok I need I need some lessons there Marcella and and the wonderful Rob you know uh, he does amazing rooms himself so I've been involved with so do check him out and please do join the the recruitment careers club um, I know Rob had a point actually they wanted to bring up I think it's quite a good one go ahead my friend yeah, thank you, Johnny. And just want to give you your flowers. because I know you've been doing this room on a Sunday, you know, for multiple, multiple hours with Dr. Roshanak. You know, just testament to you and your consistency and what you do for your community and what you've done for recruitment and careers. So I just want to say thank you for holding this space. And just a second point was about social media holidays and perhaps the culture of platforms because they from my understanding they don't really promote them enough but perhaps if there was a change in the cultural dynamic where you know it was more of a positive and people were really encouraged so it didn't create the lack of fomo to take time off i know dr roshanat was talking about taking uh, you know detoxes and taking yourself off but do we think the platforms could do more to encourage this because they clearly have the data and can see the usage and they can see the times people are active and so forth to actually really make a thing for positive change around social media holidays and change the overall culture rather than plugging consistency and FOMO and all these other things that naturally affects mental health. So yeah, I don't know what people's thoughts on social media holidays and actually having them as a thing. Back to you, buddy. Yeah, that's a good point. I've actually seen uh, even companies specializing in digital detox getaways. Haven't taken one myself, but sometimes I remember there was an occasion once when I used to go on holiday. Yeah, I know. Crazy, isn't it? Prize of the pandemic. I've forgotten how that feels like. Um, that I dropped my mobile in the sea and I was fretting about it because being an entre- uh, entrepreneur, founder, you, whatever you want to call it, um, you're constantly checking your phone, emails, responding to candidates, everything 24-7 all across the world. Not 24-7, you get asleep as well. Um, but after I got over it, the sense of relief that I could just enjoy like I used to enjoy the moment and not just checking this phone all the time, the email, the social media and everything, because it becomes a perpetual thing. You never feel like you're really off. And I think it does cause burnout and overwhelm. Dr. Roshanat, what do you think? Oh, I was just clapping. Um, that Something like that has happened to me, not that I dropped my phone into the ocean, but that something happened, it got wiped out. And this happened quite early on, you know, back in the early dinosaur ages of cell phones. A couple of times I just lost my data and I literally felt like I'd lost my life. And I, and I wasn't on social media. And, um, and then I felt very free. Like you said, I was like, oh my gosh, it's, it's like, I have, you know, there's nothing more freeing than dying and coming back. You know, like you're like a phoenix. You rise up out of the ashes, and you're like, I'm great. Um, but you know, there's a lot of apps that are available. Every phone at this point um, has the option for us to turn off at a certain time, hit the do not disturb, um, turn off your data. There are so many controls that we have, but people don't really get into them until it's too late. You got to set it up before you've got a problem after becomes a little bit harder, but 
it's still there. And depending upon what's going on, I think it's a slippery slope. And as you're sliding, that would be a really good time, if not before, to get yourself sorted. Um, because once it's too late, then you're really going to need a much more powerful intervention. And also those signals are now present in the brain. So the triggers will be there and they will be also more powerful, uh, insofar as relapse goes. So digital detox, highly recommended at everybody's fingertips right now. Thanks, Dr. Roshanak. Um, okay. So we're going to come to the last few minutes because I haven't had dinner. My wife uh, feels like I am addicted to right. You're going to end up with that divorce house after about. four Go hours. On. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to be in the doghouse, really. Uh, <laughs> my kids want to play Gingerbread Man, and, and they also want to play media. Hide and Seek. <laughs> they come in and they're seeing Daddy speaking to a phone uh, for the last four hours. Um, I don't know what they must think. You know, role model, Johnny. Role model. <laughs> Uh, practice what you preach. <laughs> <laughs> you're not addicted. You're doing so, it for a good cause. <laughs> absolutely. It's a public absolutely. service announcement. Yeah, I am totally selfish. <laughs> I put the S into selfish. Um, uh, Mark, uh, welcome to the stage. Over to you. Mark, are you there? You just need to unmic. Uh, so you come up on stage. Are you there, Mark? Going once going twice here we are here we are ah, go ahead mark so johnny I, I i have an assignment for you and your wife you ready? yeah go ahead uh find a time you know uh when you when when there's sort of a calm look her in the eye and say i have a question that i got from this four hours i was on have i ever made you feel that you weren't worth my undivided attention and interest have I ever made you feel that you weren't worth my undivided attention and interest? She's going to look at you bewildered. And then you say to her, no, this is important. And then she'll look at you. And then you say, she'll probably say yes. And then you say, um, at my worst, how bad and lonely can that make you feel? Uh, she's going to look away again because you really hit a nerve. And you say, no, this is really important. And then if she looks up at you, and by this time her eyes might be tearing, you need to think to yourself, what have I done to this wonderful woman that I married? And then you say to her, you deserve much better than this. You wanted a relationship. I gave you an arrangement. And I'm going to fix this. And I'm sorry. Can you do that, Johnny? I will try. I will try to do that, Mark. I'm just trying to get my mind uh, together, being frazzled after four hours. But after I've eaten <laughs> some dinner, I will try to take your uh, uh, poignant words uh, to mind. But it's uh, it's uh, my, my my stomach is rumbling. In other words, and my my mouth is drying up. In other words, okay, well, his well, blood sugar's low, thank you. he's in brain fog, now is not the best time for medical yeah. advice or but whatever. I, pre I appreciate it, Mark, and really good to have you on here. Uh, and I've just realized I've done a rookie mistake. I haven't put, the, I haven't put this room on the Recruitment and Careers Club. So 
please do go into my platform if you could be so kind after four hours i don't know why i did that um it must be a sunday uh and you know getting distracted um and if you could join the recruitment and careers club is the largest club on the platform uh, i always do rooms in that club it's just for some peculiar reason i haven't done so today so um that i'd be ever so grateful and obviously the the, the link above my head that would be great as well uh, rob did, did you uh unmike there my friend yeah no i was just going to say because i was i was looking for the for the greenhouse so thanks for for, for pointing that johnny because uh, yeah i just think it's so important it's the start of the year and you know you ran rooms every week last year on content related to recruitment and careers so i really do just want to encourage people to be part of that club because i know you've got a whole batch of content lined up for for this year which is hopefully going to help so many people so uh, yeah i just really want to encourage people to join the club and to follow you you know you're in the top one percent of your field for what you do you're a wonderful headhunter you're a wonderful community builder you're a fabulous coach and i just want to make sure that you know you really do get all the accolades you deserve johnny because four hours or so on a sunday um you know is invaluable helping this community so uh, really just want to encourage people to make sure they follow you and uh, hit that bell to to all ways buddy back to you oh, i appreciate that rob uh and yes i've just put the link up for anyone who hasn't joined the recruitment careers club we have a diversity of topics i've been running rooms all last year from january until um well until now um and it covers all areas of work uh careers recruitment tech uh and a bit of psychology involved uh, and we have Dr. Roshanak, who's a leader. Rob and I are building that club up as well in terms of a joint community. So the link is above my head. Um, like I said, it's a rookie mistake. Normally I have the club uh, on. Uh, I was thinking well, why there's no green <laughs> mansion house above my head. And Rob explained it. So, yeah, the link's above my head. That'd be great. And you can also check me out on my profile. That'd be awesome. So I'm going to wrap up now because it's been Just before you wrap up, can I just say that I love this club. I'm only a leader because I, I couldn't stop coming to these rooms. They're some of the best rooms on Clubhouse. And most of us know that at this point, we have basically very, very few great rooms on Clubhouse. And so um, I know everybody's like, oh, join my club and follow me. But really, I so appreciate you that you're still on Clubhouse, that you are consistently coming and consistently providing high-value rooms. This room has had 2.4 thousand people go through it already. We've had 53 shares live while the room was running. That's no small feat at this time. So I just wanted to say thank you, and I wanted to encourage anybody who doesn't already know how great this club is and how helpful and thoughtful and useful the rooms that Johnny, the man to my left, runs on this platform. Do yourself a favor. Forget the, the digital currency and courtesy and all that. Do yourself a favor and follow Johnny and be a member of the Recruitment and Careers. And at least you'll get some great rooms on this platform while we see who else we can get back up on here. I really appreciate that, Dr. Roshanak, uh, and right back at you. Um, and Dr. Roshanak, you have a room on Tuesday, is that right? I do. So I've converted my rooms now to members only. And uh, my club, Access to the Path, like this one, um, has once-a-week rooms. Although I think you have more than once a week, Johnny. Um, and um, they're on Tuesdays. They're at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern, 
5 p.m. UK and 6 p.m. Central European time on Tuesday, I'm going to be bringing in all the big guns on how we can live our best lives. You know, it's January. Everybody wants to uh, create new resolutions and create a new self and create a new life and all this stuff and use social media and this and that. And I'm going to bring in all the neuropsych that I talk about here, the neurobiology, the psychology, the sociology, the spirituality, and the practicality of how we can, in fact, really sustainably live our best lives. That's on Tuesday. Yes, thank you. Well, thank you so much, Kimberly. Um, and Rob, do you want to announce anything, or are uh, you okay where you are? <laughs> I'm, no. <laughs> I'm just going to move away from the screaming baby a second, Johnny. Um, yeah, I'm, uh, I also run the uh, Legally Speaking Club. So um, if you are interested in anything related to the law, we're one of the largest clubs here, and we're going to be running, uh, hopefully, a lot more rooms over the course of this year. So please do make sure you check that out. But by and large, please make sure that you do give recruitment and careers because what Johnny's building, and I'm delighted to be collaborating with him, is, is going to be super special. So really excited. But thanks once again, Johnny. Back to you. Thank you, Rob. And I call Dr. Roshan our Kimberly. So you know, it shows my <laughs> shift is here. up. It's up. Um, People so don't I realize thank... how hard it is to be in your position. You know, the, yeah, the person no... who opens and runs a room is there's a lot of cognitive reserve. You're using four hours straight concentration. That's a lot. Exactly. I'll say that whenever uh, when I now have my dinner and my missus is talking to me and I'm not, and if I don't pay attention, I'll say Dr. Roshanak said I've used all my reserves. Up. That's right. Cognitive. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So I want to thank Dr. Roshanak. Uh, please do check her profile out. Show curiosity. Curiosity is an important skill in life. It really is. And remember the thing that I said, one of the bit, best indicators to someone becoming successful in their careers is their power of their networks. Is actually their weaker ties, turning weaker ties into stronger ties. Um, so Dr. Roshanak, the wonderful Robert, he's a great content creator. Uh, he's doing amazing things on LinkedIn, Instagram, um, a, a real community person, and his top of his field on the legal side. Uh, we've got uh, Barry, who uh, I enjoyed your comments. Uh, we've got the wonderful Kimberly, he's always gold, doing a lot of stuff around future and work. Uh, Wendy, LinkedIn, Seb, really good to uh, have uh, seen you on the stage and, and all your contributions. I thank you. Dipsa, didn't get a chance to hear from you, but she does room, good rooms to so check her profile out as well. Uh, KB, loved your contribution. Rahul, also welcome. And Marcella um, uh, on TikTok, check her out. Mark, uh, uh, I'll try to take on your advice if I can, buddy, but thank you for your, uh, your input. And the wonderful Barbara uh, down below as well. Uh, please do check her out. Uh, and her profile, but above all, you, the audience. Thank you for taking time out of your day. I hope you've got value and enjoyed it. I know it's an overused word, the sense of the word value, but really try to make an impact. And if you could do me a favor, I'd really appreciate it. Join the club, Recruitment Careers Club. Um, it, it then gives you the kind of notifications. It helps with the algorithm. And uh, I hope you've enjoyed the hours that you've spent with us. So I want to thank everyone. God bless. Thank, Thank you. Bye, everyone. Thank you, Johnny. Thanks so much, Bye, Johnny. Enjoy Thank you, Johnny. Thanks, everyone. Thank you so much. <clears throat>